If nobody turned that one steer the four times you ran that night, you didn't get a turn in. You just didn't get to row. <laughs> Who in the heck loans you $30,000 to go rodeo? What are you talking about? We get done. We're like, this sucks. We're still going to do it. I, I can't stand it. So I just go up to him and I, I am like, is there something wrong with your brain? So we're officially hey, going. Unoffendable. You know, yeah, that that is our that really is our man. The name of the podcast is the Flatbed Podcast, and the reason it's for that is the Flatbed is like <laughs> so. We are brought to you as always. Been there since the beginning. People that are, were with us when this was just an idea, just starting out. Classic ropes and Equinity products. I said it in the show notes, and I'm going to say it again. If you only listen to one podcast this year. Please make it this one. This is such a such a fascinating experience, um, and I call it an experience because I sat in the room, just like feeling lucky that I got to be even in the room while it was being recorded. Shane is such a fascinating guy. He's had such an amazing story. Seems like everywhere he goes, he's had a, a just a tremendous impact. One of the good guys, just one of the absolute good guys. I'm such a fan. Uh, so yeah, make sure, make sure this is not one of the episodes you miss. Also, want to tell Cinch. Thank you for the help. Um, this was part of the extended New York City trip. We made a layover in Nashville. Um, so shout out to them for helping make all that possible. If you haven't subscribed yet, let me tell you what you're missing out on. We record some bonus episodes. There is a time every now and then when um, whatever restriction doesn't allow. So there will be some episodes without it. But uh, we really try to get some bonus materials, just stupid questions. Um, kind of gives you a, a more light look into the people that we're getting to sit down and visit with. And so... I want to encourage you jump on check it out uh it's a cool way to support the podcast too um so anyway yeah that's what we that's why we're doing it better look you know we don't want the podcast to just be something that's silly for hours um but it is a little break um for like the typical temperature of what we normally do on the podcast so uh if you haven't check it out subscribe now throughout this podcast you're going to hear from our partners uh who make this podcast possible uh we've been able to do this for a year and a half now, almost two years, uh, bringing you the stories that we like to tell that because uh, we like to hear them. Keep in mind when you hear from these companies and these products that they are not companies or products. These are people. These are people that made the decision to interface with you through this podcast, which means they speak the language that you speak. These are our people. Um, these are also companies that we have vetted personally. We don't uh, represent any of these companies that isn't a product we wouldn't pay full retail for or people that we wouldn't go into business with. So you're not just hearing a random ad that we got paid to reread. Uh, what we've done is we have partnered ourselves with these companies and with these people to try to create a culture uh, around this podcast. So you're going to hear so, you're going to hear from them throughout the podcast. Keep that in mind when you hear it. Man, I am sold on Equinity products. It's one of the things we get the most questions about actually is does it work? All of my horses are on it. I'm telling you, you can tell a noticeable difference. It's the thing that uh, triggers the pituitary gland to work more efficiently and for you science nerds. Uh, the pituitary gland is sort of like the control center for all of the chemicals and all the balances. And it's, uh, it's the control center that keeps a horse healthy. Um, I've noticed I've noticed a physical change, but to be honest, the mental impact that it has on them, keeping them calm, ready to show up, ready to go to work, check them out. Uh, you can you can find them at all their social media at Equinity. Let's be honest, who hasn't heard of Equinity? I'm not telling you how to find them. You already know. I'm just telling you the experience I had, and it is worth it. I will never not feed Equinity to my horses. I am finally back with Shane Miner. You are back. The podcast that God wanted recorded in Tennessee. <laughs> or maybe he didn't. No, he did. He did. He did, and here's why. Why? Um, we recorded this. It's never happened before. Right. It's never happened since. It didn't happen in Vegas that week. 
there was we were when we recorded we did four different recordings we had to like stop take a restroom break or somebody right. come up we'd pause we ended up with four different files on the podcast right all four files were corrupted all four the one before it fine the ones after it completely fine it was literally just ours wow and the only thing i can think is at the time i didn't know i was going to new york so the only thing i could think is that god just wanted this recorded right here Sounds good to me. That's my excuse. I'm going with that. I'm, I'll go with that too. I had a, I'll go with I it. was telling everybody what Stu is. I was telling everybody, I'm like, I just finished recording the best podcast I've ever recorded, ever. They're like, who? And I just, Shane Miner. A lot of people are like, oh, yeah, of course. And then other people are like, who's that? Right. And I love those people. Well, though, it's like the rodeo world wouldn't necessarily know. The music industry obviously yeah. knows who you are. But like the rodeo world is not necessarily. Right, right. Yeah, some of them do, like maybe where I grew up, you know. Well, and like uh, Eddie Prefert. Oh, love t- Like that crowd knows, but um, like the kids coming up and stuff. Maybe. Have you done one with Eddie? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah, love it's great. Yeah, it's great. Um, but yeah, so I, I, was, I was telling everybody, I was like, when this comes out, you've got to, you've got to listen to this podcast. I bet I've told 50 people. And I listen to it, and, the, and I'm like, I sit in the room, and Lacey's looking at me, and I'm looking at her. And like, she didn't know if I was going to do like. The rage quit. The kids call the video games where he's like, throw your computer across the <laughs> I was just like, how did we just lose that? So I think it's an advantage. I think the advantage being I kind of have some ideas of questions right. to ask now going into right. it, went to it completely blind the first time. So I get it. No, that's great. I, hey, I'll take it, man. I mean, I'm taking time on this. Are you kidding? I appreciate you flying in. I we feel just, bad yeah. you had to fly and then you came home and started cleaning my house. How about that? I wa- listen to this. I walk in. Are people watching this? Yeah, I mean, you see it. Well, okay. it'll be clips. We'll, be we'll cool. post the whole thing. So I, I get home. I was writing and I get home and you're in here cleaning out my fireplace. And I know you, you did something, some sweeping or something. Listen, what did you do? Your horse, my horseshoe was here. That's right. And there was a moment there where it looked like his life might be in danger. Really? I saw our horse look like he's going to step back. And I said, you want me to hold him? And he's like, man, would you mind? I haven't been around horses in five days. We've been in New York. Right. So perfect. So then. In fairness, they said they hadn't been getting rode a lot, but your horse looked like he was about to join like a Bob Marley, Bob mm-hmm. Marley uh, fan club. Well, that horse hadn't been ridden. The the little bay so my horse. My phone is on. Do not disturb, and it's still ringing. It's still ringing. So is it your wife? I'm not. I'm not even upset. I'm just. I don't know how that happened. It's all right. Uh, yeah. So it looked like he's about to join a Bob Marley fan group. And so we got some brushes and clean them all up. Yeah, it's you're probably this way too. Like it's hard for me to sit still. Right. It's not like I'm just so virtuous. I just have to help out. I was just right. sitting there. I was bored. Right. So yeah. Right. Right. No, I get it. I appreciate you doing that for me. <laughs> Happy. I was working. I was working, and I was supposed to been home decent time. Meet you here, but I got held over, and there you were. You just stepped into the rescue, man. And listen, I screwed hope- up because now Jet knows that I can clean up horse horses. You know, we've got people at home. We're really fortunate. We've got people at home that help feed and clean stalls and stuff. And so now that's awesome. Like, well, you can do that. You actually have people to help dog. you. Yeah. Well, there's we got between, lucky dog. between the two places. There's 37 horses. So oh, forget it's it. It's not like if I, I could either be like my own full time stall cleaner or feeder. No. Or I would never get to ride. So it's a trade. No, I know. Right. Not right. So um, I met you in Vegas. And here's yep. for people that wouldn't know I, what I. I love industry insiders that aren't necessarily visible from the front of the stage, I guess is what I would say. Right. Um, grew up in, I grew up in Fort Worth and formative time. Have you ever heard this that said that like there's an age where your brain reaches neuroplasticity from like your late teenage, early twenties, where you will never ever experience music the same way that you did at that age. Which yes. Is, which I've is, heard that. Yeah. And that's why people look back on their glory days. is like, that was the best music that's ever. 100%. Because of their, the music that was out during that age. Right. For me, that was the kind of the birth of Red Dirt. All the Red Dirt music was coming out right during that age. And so for me, I feel like I'm just, I'm locked in as a country music fan forever. Yeah, me too. 
Me too. <laughs> I, would, I would assume. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, but you're right about that. Well, and I want so I want to I want to set the stage for this conversation because I, I want to I, I want to know you being an Nashville insider mm. and me having grown up in Fort Worth. Not that the two are even comparable by any means, but there was almost this Nashville versus Texas country thing that started. Mm. Um, it felt like. You know, we grew up on George Strait and Randy Travis. Absolutely. And that was all Nashville stuff. Mm. But then pretty soon you start hearing music coming out. And I, I don't know when, I don't know when it started. You may, you maybe would have a better idea of it, but I don't remember when it started, but it was almost like it stopped sounding like us. Yeah. And then pretty soon it was like, man, I still love country music. Rodeo kids obviously all listen to rap. So mm. like we're rap, familiar rock. with rap. So yeah, yeah right, right, right. It was like country music kind of stopped speaking our language a little bit. Right. Do you... Do you remember when that, do you, when you... Yeah, I think so. Did you have that moment too, like, what's yeah. happening? Yeah, I started changing as a writer. You know, what they started looking for and the way we wrote songs. I, I would I would think, and answer your first question, I would say somewhere around 2008, you know, when, yeah. the, when the, I think I think that's right, when the bro country started coming in. Because mm-hmm. um, I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't grow up on that, obviously. I, when I listened, I grew up like a rodeo kid, high school mm-hmm. rodeo and stuff, and you know, I listened to rock, rap, but I loved country music. It had its own deal. And so I could appreciate it all. Yeah. But I think it started really integrating with country coming in, kind of taking over. I would say I'm, I got to be somewhere in the ballpark, 2007, 2008, somewhere in there. So as a writer, just, just for people that may not know, <clears throat> you've written successful songs in pretty much every generation of country music since you started as it's shifted you've been able to continue having success just survival went, right? right right um not necessarily what i always want to write right so that's where i'm going and some people would call that you know in the music business you know a sellout you know but and maybe in some parts it is but i i don't look at it that way i look at it you know as i i've got to feed my family and i got to continue a career and and writing songs it's not like say i don't i write songs sometimes that i have to in the past that i necessarily don't it's not what I would do as an artist or a writer. It's not what I came to town to do. Same with horses. I mean, right, the kind right. of horses that I really genuinely love wouldn't sell in Wickenburg on average. A right. few of them would. I you get know, that. But like the big, strong, real pretty, hard running, right. scores good, fast footed. Those it. horses are are so high high functioning. Right. That your average guy that comes to Wickenburg for the winter that's going to spend the money on a horse isn't going to want to ride him mm. and shouldn't ride him. Mm. Right. I get the it. degree of difficulty is too high. 100%. So we end up selling horses that we know we're going to sell. It's not sure. necessarily horses that we would ride. I still enjoy, to be honest, I still enjoy it because it's still, it's still horse training, still songwriting. Right. 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 But you do find yourself following the market a little bit, mm. even if it's not something you would have necessarily felt drawn to as a kid. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, to keep a publishing deal and keep and I don't keep. I think writing. that's a sellout. I don't think. Oh, I, I don't consider myself sellout because the thing is, you know, I still hold the country music line and I still hold that torch. I'm one of a few guys, and there's there's a few of us out there, you know, that still we still write what we came to town to write. And what did you? Do you remember coming to town like, okay, I know the story I want to tell. <clears throat> yeah, I just had a lot to say. I think as a as a young guy growing up and just where I came from in the in the in the rodeo world, like yourself and. You know the rural lifestyle, yeah, and and just the stuff I grew up on. I wanted to be like those guys. You know, I wanted to say how they said it, and I was really gravitated to all those writers on those country songs. Not just the artists, but the writers. And so, you know, I always had a. I wanted to keep it country. I wanted to keep it, you know, very front porch and some meat and potatoes, a little meat on the bones on the lyric. You know, so it would move people. When you feel like you're in that, 
is it e okay, let me think of how to say this do you feel like songs happen faster for you when you're in that versus when you're trying to create a product knowing that the bro country is what's selling right now and you're having to write a version of that that will sell is it more labor intensive for you to write outside of your lane yes and no um so, yeah i think it's more internal yeah uh, the, the battle yeah um and I'm not, I'm not, you know, I think it all, all has room. I'm not knocking it, but I'm just more of a country music guy. But, um, yeah, I mean, it can be, it can be challenging because I'm like, well, um, I could, you know, I could sit here and, and write something that is just like country to the bone, but I know that's not going to, this artist is not going to cut it. What's happening right, right now. <clears throat> or I could go write what they're doing which is not really my forte. But who cares? They cut it. But who works. cares? And a lot of times in, in that in that type of music writing, you just kind of say, I'm not saying a lot of those songs aren't great songs, but they, they just settle. So we... You just move pretty quick. You move pretty quick. Yes, and then and, yes. and Nashville songwriting, when I came to, to, through the school, being mentored by a lot of the older guys, Hall of Famers and guys I really look up to and still around today that I look up to, um, still strive to be like those guys. Today. Right. It was more of a craft. And well, I mean, they, your mentors may have not ever gone through what we're talking about because bro country being such a late mm -hmm. thing in the industry, did they, did they ever have to survive? Like yeah. going back to when they were doing it, was there versions? You of know, it? I've heard stories. Yeah. Because like in the, like, think about this when, you know, there's some guys in the music business been around, you know, 30, 20 years longer than me. You could probably explain it better, but I have heard like, like when, like, 89 in the late 80s you know you had early eight, late 80s 90 mm -hmm. you had the kind of the pop rock bands who i who i for you know, loved you know i loved you know give an example like who are some restless like, heart people yeah. like that you know the kind prettier of prettier prettier men. sounding which i <laughs> yeah and good and you know what yeah. and i love those guys those yeah. guys were great man yeah. and i still listen to those guys but, but it's then, not George Jones it's no not no no it's not country it's not George yeah. Strait yeah. and then right. all that was going on and but it's somehow to me, I listen back and I don't know, I may be totally wrong about this. And maybe the listeners will agree with me or disagree with me, but I listened back, there was still something country about it. About Restless Heart and right. you know, you don't get a more country guy than Steve Warner, but he had yeah. that thing, you know, that that but it still lend it lent itself to country music a little right. more, I think, than the than the bro country did, and just in my opinion. Yeah. You follow me? Am I saying that right? Okay, to be fair, there's times where there's a song that doesn't talk about, you know, feed stores or anything right. country at all. It's just an easy song to listen to, and I don't hate it. You know, I don't right. have to be like, this is garbage. You don't have to think about it. Right. There's a guy I that used it. to say, I want to be what I want to be for what I'm for without having to be against what I'm not. Or, I, or no, no, I want to be what I am without having to be against what I'm not. Right. 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 So there are times where I listen, I'm like, it's not me, but I don't have to be against it. Right. Right. Okay. Same thing. Same yeah. thing. Same yeah. thing here. Um, so when the, the, how familiar were you with the red dirt thing as it started to emerge? Because what really, honestly, it was what opened the door to red dirt country. <clears throat> when you think of like the Randy Rogers, you oh, know, yeah. Ragweed way back in the beginning, what opened the door to that is it was almost like this anti Nashville move, which honestly, yeah. I don't really think you have to be anti anything. Right. I think no, you, you just, don't. you know, Pat Green, you don't have to know what I'm against if you know what I'm for. Right. 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 Um, but in this case, it was like, no one's telling our story. We're not hearing our stories told. Right. We don't need to go get a recording deal in Nashville because they wouldn't make what we're making. No. But we can sell what we're making to the people that understand us. It was the thing that opened the door to that. 
100%. So what was the, from Nashville, what was the take on what they were seeing in that? Well, I think, I think that sometimes, and I'm not a label head, but I've, but I've been in the business long enough. And I think that a lot of times they underestimate the mass population that love country music. Yeah. Like I was going, like where you had all those bands in the late eighties and the sound was kind of more of a poppy mm-hmm. thing. Right. It wasn't bro, it wasn't hip hop, but it was pop. It's still mm-hmm. kind of country, but pop. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of them and I'm forgetting all the bands, but you, you go back and listen. Chris Gaines. <laughs> Which is funny. Ironically, <laughs> you're right. Think about this. Think about this. Hey, all that was going on. No, you you nailed it. Think about this. Yeah. All that was going on. And then here you are in what, 1990? Here comes this guy from Oklahoma with a rodeo song called Much Too Young to Feel This Damn yes, Old. Why all of that yes. was going on. Yes. And I heard through the label people back then that they basically told them, well, that's, if that's what you want to release, that's a nail in your coffin because we, and that'll that's never what, work. That, that, that's what he was told. That'll never work. And he got passed on by everybody. Really? Everybody passed on Garth. Who Absolutely. Said, who, who finally said yes? Uh, Capital. Capital finally said, I'm, and I, and I, I don't want to, I mean, I think I'm, I think I'm saying this right. I think before they had passed on him too. Capital before. Passed they finally on. circled back around. Finally circled back around. Well, he comes out with a rodeo song in the middle of all this pop that's totally country and it freaking blew up. Oh yeah. And I think that was an, uh, they underestimated that the people love something that was real yeah. and country. And it was about rodeo cowboy and even though even though you know the majority of the population our world our rodeo world is a big small community right 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 they still the person in manhattan i mean look what he did in new york he sells out the people in new york are sitting there rocking the much too young they've never been on a bucket horse yeah but but you know they relate yeah they always they i think there's a part of them that grew up going i want to be a cowboy i dream of that right i heard a guy say one time you can always smell commission breath Right. right. That's right. And when you're making something strictly to pander, we did this in Vegas. I let you listen to the song pandering. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Anytime it's pandering, I think the average person smells it. Maybe they can't put their finger on it, right? Right. When there's just a guy that's like, man, I'm going to tell my story. Anybody in any walk of life should be, I, I would think, would have the ability to be like, man, I don't understand necessarily what, like, the Bronx are getting tougher I, I don't know what that means but right like, i get that this is an older guy telling right. a story and like man it feels good it feels mm-hmm. like something like it's like all those fans that would eventually transition to yellowstone fans they've right. always been out there they're always there that's but, right but how does a how does an industry ran by executives and i'm not even picking on them because i don't know how they would do it they live looking at numbers and data all the time that's what they do how would a guy that's in an executive office how could he stay connected enough to the grassroots to know what goes on in the cheap seats? Well, they follow progress. They follow mass media, what's popular, right? Right. And in that, and in that, they get lost in the numbers, right? Or they're in the machine. They're in the machine. Yeah. They're, 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 yeah, that's right. They're yeah. And machine. so, and so even though the guy singing may want to tell a story, they're having to run it through commission breath from the executive office that says what right. can work and what can't. Right. Right. And so it makes sense that you would have this whole movement coming out of Texas where people are like, couldn't get in Nashville, like Garth, for instance. It rewind time, like if Garth would have been around in the, you know, the time when Red Dirt was starting, chances are he gets told no everywhere else. He would have been a Texas country artist. 100%, He's in Oklahoma, one hundred percent. So it, there was there now became an outlet, right? And so right, has that caused? Do you feel like that that's caused Nashville to start coming back a little bit, or do you think they even have a clue what's going on? I think it's caused them to come back a little bit, and I think it's awesome that that the Texas market. I was never one of those guys that, you know that whole stigma between Nashville and Texas, you know, cause I'm not originally from here and right. I'm not from right. Texas, even though my family's 
from Oklahoma and yeah. stuff. I, I never, I never really got into that and I never understood the fight, but, yeah, but no, I, sure. I never understood, but I, I'll tell you what, good on the Texas guys, because I think I, we talked about this. <clears throat> I think that country music, Nashville got lost in the numbers, right? Got lost in the machine. What else can we do different? They were, they were fixing something to me that wasn't broken. Mm-hmm. My opinion, this is just my opinion. Right. And they went so far out in the weeds and left the population, the the uh, the New York crowd that Garth sells out to, the people walking to work in their suits and, and ties on Manhattan that love Garth Brooks and love country music, they don't know why. They just dream of that lifestyle, right? Mm-hmm. I've talked to a few of those people. I got New York buddies of mine that are not in the music business. They dream of the life we're right. around. Right. And so as Nashville started getting away from that, here comes Texas. That's why. That's my opinion. Why the dirt country did this? That's my theory. I'll right. say my theory. Here they come, giving the people what kind of what country music supposed to be and what it was for sure. And it freaking blew up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Nashville actually, in chasing the numbers and getting lost in the machine, put Texas music on the map. Texas just stepped in and goes, "Well, if you don't want to do it, here I am." Exactly. I freaking love that. Well, and good for Texas. They had already been rejected. That that I think right. maybe like the energy behind it was like. I think honestly, well, I don't know if they'd admit it or not, but I think there were bands that tried it in Nashville, and they oh, were told back like, in the day, nah. So they come home and they're like, "Well, uh, either we're gonna go to work at Dad's mechanic shop, mm-hmm. or we could just start doing it here." Right. And that's why when it started to work, they're like, "Yeah, Nashville, these guys get it. You didn't get it." And I think that's why there was sort of the rift is there was this sense of like, "Well, you wouldn't let us. We tried and you wouldn't let us." That's right. And now it's working. And now so, it's working. Yeah. And I hope Texas is is charging them an arm and a leg when they get their deals. I would assume. I, I mean, hope they well, are. Wouldn't I don't you think, I'm not privy to it, but I hope they are. I'm not in the business, but wouldn't yeah. you think if you've already got this giant following and you're already having success, you know, wouldn't you think that when you get ready to sign a record deal, you're like, hey, I'm not signing a kid off the street. Like, I've got some momentum going. You would think it would be beneficial to them. Right. Absolutely. 100%. Uh, did that open the door for you as far as like, hey, wait, we're going to start moving back towards our roots. We know a guy. This is our guy. This is the guy. Because you grew up where? I grew up in right outside. I was born in Modesto, California. Um, and I grew up kind of in the Oakdale area, Modesto, Oakdale, you know, that whole area, you know, the big rodeo town, Oakdale. And How many? H Bar B? H Bar B, uh, baby. Uh, there is actually a oh, song. Oh, Mikey. I there love was Mikey. actually a song written by Trevor Knowles uh-huh. called Slump Busting at the H Bar B. Really? Yeah, as a fellow I, songwriter, you might really appreciate it, but I, I don't love think it. it's something somebody should go look up at all. Um, I remember. I remember the first time I heard Crystal do, you know, singing about H Bar B. Yeah. Not H Bar B, but about Oakdale. Oakdale. It was a running through the rain. Hey, at H Bar B, when we were out there my rookie year, they said that in the morning back then, uh, I'm dating myself, but like all the <laughs> old famous team ropers, Leo Camarillo, oh, they're all, all those guys. Both. They would all go eat breakfast there in the morning. 100. There's a bar at night. Yep. And then yep. they'd all go eat breakfast That's there in true. the morning. It's like this old famous, you know, That's combination. True. Like all the rodeo guys were there at night, and then. Like yeah. all the old famous established guys that were still there. That's exactly right. Mornings. Yeah. Yeah. Ted, Ted Noose, all those guys. Yeah. Man. Crazy, yeah. crazy yeah. history in Oakdale. Oh, it is great. How many other songwriters in Nashville high school rodeoed? Oh, gosh. I'm not saying you know every single songwriter here, but like, if I you know a guess. lot of them. I, I, songwriter wise, I want to say one I know of who's a buddy of mine, Bryce Long. Okay. Um, and uh, he, ro- he rodeoed growing up. Oh yeah, Bryce is. I'll tell you what about Bryce. He's a buddy of mine. Bryce, um, Bryce, he's. What's the last thing Bryce had? He had a heartache on the dance floor as a writer for John Party. Heck yeah. Um, 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 he's a dear friend of ours, and he, uh, 
he had, I know he high school rodeo, but I'm telling you, if Bryce would have not taken the music route, you would have probably seen him at the NFR had healing. Wicked, oh, really? Wicked healer. No, okay. 100%. And he lives out here? Yeah, yeah. He just lives on the north side of Nashville. I talked to him quite a bit. And we ride. No kidding. Yeah. Great guy. Okay. He's I the only one I can think of. I don't know the guy. I'm not trying to pick on him, but John Party is a perfect example. Like okay. when he first came out, you listen to his first couple records, mm-hmm. like, this guy gets it. Yeah. It's fun music. Yep. You know, all the songs he was singing, it was, I mean, it was fun. It was lighthearted. You know, sure, but he was sure. kind of like one of the guys, right? Right. And then all of a sudden, he kind of blows up. And then the next album he puts out, it is like. You guys have heard me talk about Bale's Hay. Um, I mean, that, well, I've already said everything I can say. It's the best hay I've ever fed. It's the cheapest hay I've ever fed because I don't have to feed as much of it. You know, they steam press it. Just an amazing quality hay. But they've also, if you'll watch the, the promo clips that have come out on social media, they also sell some really cool hats. Um, got some hoodies and stuff. And so even if you're not in the market for uh, actual alfalfa hay, Check them out at baleshay.com. Their hats are sick. They've taken a lot of effort to make sure they have cool stuff to present. So, yeah, check them out, Bales Hay. By now, you've heard me brag up and down about the Ranch Hand Solar Lights. Um, I've said they, they, you've heard this. They, they are the reason I was able to keep up and going through the summer. Uh, we went fully to Graveyard, and they were, they were a lifesaver for us. Um, hurry and get them ordered. If you're thinking you might get them, you know, you might someday buy some, get them ordered right now. There's a little bit of a waiting list. They will get to you, but order them now to get on the list. I'm telling you. Pro Series lights have been a complete game changer. I have my other lights, the smaller ones that I had before over my stalls, keeping hair off my horses. Check them out. Ranch Hand Solar Lighting. They're on all the social medias. Um, it, I, I mean, I can, what do I say? I can't brag on them enough. I, I, I recommend them, but then, you know, because they're my friends, because I love them, it starts to sound like a sales pitch. So to avoid that, I'll just tell you, check them out. Ranch Hand Solar Lighting. If you've been keeping up with the 1017 Project, you will know that we're in the middle of a We Heart Wickenburg series here in Wickenburg. It's the it's the culmination of the arenas, the producers, our sponsors, um, the city of Wickenburg. We're partnering with the food banks, the after-school programs. 85% of the kids in Wickenburg are on free or assisted lunches, which is an interesting number because you've got this mass amount of influx in the winter. And then when they go home, the town... A lot of times um, there are people here in town that are struggling to figure out a way to feed their families. There's uh, the after school program is sending them home with protein produced through these team ropings, through these jackpots, and you can donate no matter where you are. You could be living in Australia right now and make a donation to the 1017 Project. Check them out at the 1017project.com. Mm-hmm. This guy gets it. Yeah. It's fun music. Yep. You know, all the songs he was singing, it was, I mean, it was fun. It was lighthearted. You know? Sure. But he was sure. kind of like one of the guys, right? Right. And then all of a sudden, it kind of blows up. And then the next album he puts out, it is like stamped with all the things that feel cookie cutter. Yeah. This sounds personal. It's not. I'm sure he's a great guy. Great guy. But that is, I think, what what I was saying is it feels like if we're, if if the industry isn't careful, Nashville takes something good and then just freaking ruins it. 100% they do. They do. They'll get an artist in there. I've, I mean... Heck, it happened to me as an artist. You know, thank God that didn't work out because I'm glad because looking back, I didn't really, I love being behind the scenes like you said, but yeah, it happens all the time. Yeah, but they're good at it. If they do, if they've been doing this for decades, mm-hmm. they're going to sneak it past the guy before he realizes he looks up and he's like, uh, what am I? Wait, who am I again? Yeah. Right there. It's true. Well, there's it's a, true. there's a, a Bible ver- a story about when David goes to fight Goliath, right? Right. He walks in and he's a shepherd and his brother's like, get him out of here. Right. He walks into the tent. And Saul offers him his armor. Mm-hmm. Remember this story? Mm-hmm. Now, if he was a little boy, if he was like a six-year-old boy, mm-hmm. 
the king wouldn't have tried to put his armor. Saul was a big guy. Right. He wouldn't try to put his armor on David, which means David was a big guy. It would have fit. Right. Or he wouldn't have offered it. So right. Otherwise, it's an illogical story. Right. David says no, and I, I, I suspect, this isn't in there, but I suspect. Remember, all his brothers are outside the tent. Right. Right? Right. If he walks out wearing the king's armor, I feel like his brother's are like, oh, dude, come on. What are you doing? You think you're – I think there had to – because I grew up with brothers. <laughs> there had to be a part of him that's like, man, if I walk out of this tent, I'm never going to hear the end of it. Even if I win, my brothers are going to give me crap about this. Forever. 100%. I would rather die right. than take on the king's armor. Right. right? And I think they're – I guess I have sympathy for guys that they look up and they're like, they someone dressed them and they weren't paying attention. Right. And now all of a sudden they're like – this isn't why I wanted to be here. This that's isn't right. why I got in this industry, but it's too late. You're trapped. That's right. That's right. No, that's exactly what happens. A lot of, a lot of times, and you have the artists that have had success where they're just like, no, I know who I am and this is who I'm going to be. Garth being one of them. Well, how, how terrible would it be to have success as the wrong version of you? I can tell you what it feels like. It's horrible. Cause you're stuck. I was, I was the guy. I was one of them. So yeah, 100%. Talk, okay. So I want to go back. And, you know, let me say this, too. Like, Luke Bryan, love him or hate him, right? Yeah. I love him. People don't realize how country that boy is. Luke Bryan, when he's not—Luke he Luke is smart. I don't—the label—there's a guy the label don't tell what to do or what to be. He is a guy that knows who he is. He knows his college crowd he sells to. Okay. And he also knows I'm getting a little older, and I got I to gotta start doing these songs, and he's always been a real country guy. When he's not performing, Luke's listening to Conway Twitty. Earl Thomas Conley, Merle Haggard. He's listened to all the stuff that we love. That's his forte. And then when he wants to, he's he's cranking the rap and the rock and all that stuff. But when he listens to country music, he's That's listening to country music. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I would love I'd love to hear his version of it. I would love to hear him tell his side of it. Because it he's one of those guys that I've heard that. I've heard that about from people that know him. Great guy. He's like in the woods, he hunts, he's a great. He's guy. the real he's deal. He's side by side doing his thing and like but then you see him on stage, and there's times you're like, man, what What would my buddy say to that? Like, if, if I was doing what he was doing, I know it's a business, right? But, right. like, man, I, I just don't think my buddies would ever let me hear the end of it. I feel right. like I would, I'd never live it down. Right. My own perspective. And I, I would just be curious what his – not that you can answer for him. So <clears> well, I've him. talked to him some about it. He's never sold himself down the river. He's always remained true to who he is. He's just happy with – Yeah, with the songs that he's cut. Yeah. You know, that a lot of them, sometimes we go, what? You know, a lot of people do, right? Right. Um, he's just, that's what, he, he don't really care. He, hey, if a guy likes his, it's art. If he he like knows, it. he knows where he's believable and that's a true artist. This is me. Yeah. Like, you know, he, he, I mean, the guy loves rodeo too. I mean, go watch him live. He'll do everything that glitters is not gold. And he's nowhere near a cowboy. He came right. out, he came out here in that arena. And did a thing with my daughter, who was Tennessee High School Rodeo Queen, a video that was his idea yeah. for the Tennessee High School Rodeo team. And one of those horses of hers, we had six here at the time, and one of, one of the horses just, I mean, a lap dog walked up behind him, and you would have think, you, you'd have thought he had some big freaking Bramer behind him fixing to hook him. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? He's that horse. You know, he just, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, but but he, right. but he but Luke, he is a country boy, and, yeah. and he he loves it and respects all of it, but you know, it, it's, he knows, he knows his crowd and, and he knows who he is as an artist. And I know for a fact, the label has sometimes tried to step in and tell him where to be, what to wear, what to cut. And he's out, he's going, no, not doing it. nope. And he won't. I heard a guy, I think I, I'm almost positive as Justin McKee said, there are cowboys in every walk of life. Like yep. you could go to Japan 
And if you were over there and you got the, you met the people that were over there, he could be maybe he's a mailman. Right. He could be a mailman in Russia. Right. But there's cowboys everywhere you go. Right. They maybe they're not on a horse. Maybe they're not moving cows. But they've got something. There's something that right. core of who they are. They're like, man, that dude's a cowboy. Right. Just, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh yeah. And since I, th- I'm, I swear it's Justin, I'm almost positive. But ever since he said that, I'm like, man, I need to rethink what I think is a cowboy because I always think of it as like the guy that'll get on a bucking horse or the guy right. that's going to go do the ranchy stuff. But right. It's more than that. It's a guy that's just just what you said. A guy that's good with who he is. He's fine standing up against the establishment. You know, yep. I think when the you hear people say, like, the world needs more cowboys, I think that's true in that regard. It is true. Yeah, you just need people to stand up for that. It is true. It is true. Like, you know, it's like song. one of the songs I wrote, International Harvester, for Craig Morgan when that first got cut. They, they the labels. How did you get that cut? That seems like, who would have signed off on that? Well, that's the problem. They they were like, "Hey, this is great for the Midwest where the farms, but nobody in New York, you know, in New York and these big cities, Chicago, nobody's going to relate to that." And so, I believe at the time the label head goes, "I don't know about that," and they put it out. It was Benny Brown that put it out. It blew up. You know where their biggest markets were for New that City. song? New York, Chicago, yeah. the places they were worried about because people dreamed of that life and like. They wanted to be that guy. Yeah. Instead of the hustle and bustle of the city and the rat race, they wanted to be in a country in a tr- cab of a tractor. Yeah. And that's the way they escaped for a minute and we're in it. That's just the, the feedback that we all got when that happened. It blew up. Tell me tell me a story about writing the song. Uh, and then I want to get more to your story. I want to know more about you. But before we do, I asked you in Vegas, have you ever wrote a song for somebody? And you go, yeah, actually, matter of fact, Flint. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Flint. Well, it wasn't for him, but here's what happened. So... During COVID, you know, they had the shelter in place, right? Mm -hmm. And then Flint, I believe, lives in Billings, Montana. And so I had heard a rumor from a mutual friend that here at shelter in place, Flint's girlfriend had just left him high and dry. And so you feel bad as a buddy. Right. I call him up, Flint, Shane. How you been? Well, Shane, you know how he is. He's, you know, he's like, real philosophical. He gets real philosophical. You know, buddy, I'm good, man. I'm just... Yeah, she left, and yeah, I can't go anywhere. I'm stuck out here. I'm in Billings, and it's, yeah, haven't gone to the store. You know, you can hear him, you know. Yeah. And him and I always rip on each other, you know, and, and uh, you know, so he's, he's talking and rambling a little bit, and I'm listening. And I'm, so at the same time, I'm laughing with him, and mm-hmm. I'm like, man, this is bad. Well, he said something. He goes, uh, he goes, but you know what, Shane? I'm good. He goes, I'm out here on the front porch. He goes, one thing I do have is a big old freaking cold long neck beer, and I'm sitting here on my porch drinking this beer and i being the smart aleck that i am said well i hope that beer is cold she was leaving you that way you know i said yeah hey, smart yeah, yeah, yeah. Smart. of course he laughed and he's, he's laughing he goes hey, hey you wait. guys are both laughing and he goes that sounds like a song and i go does sound like a song <laughs> and so shortly thereafter uh me and my buddy jonathan singleton we were uh doing a write with um for luke combs with luke combs and didn't have an idea and i told him that story about flint and i said i got this idea i came up through Flint, you know, I said, I've a poor guy had to pay for it in real life, but I got a song out of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, and Sorry, I, but also, but also we're going to go make some money off right. of Flint, possibly right. out of his heartbreak. Yeah. Um, something good come out of it. Something good yeah, come out of it. You're giving it meaning for it. Right. It's not, it's not completely one. Right. Right. And so I told him the story of that and they kind of laughed and I said, but anyways, uh, the idea I had was that, you know, beer almost as cold as you, you know, and then we wrote that song and the song ended up going number one for Luke Combs. And See, and that's, that to me is the, 
what I would assume is the joy of songwriting is that you can take something and put it in a frame that yeah. everybody can connect to. Right. I was like, I've been there. I know right. that feeling. Right. Everything, like, yes, I get that. Right. Even if people you'll never meet from a walk of life you'll never know, from places you'll never visit, they're, they're, it appeals to humanity. Right. And something about their humanity connects to that. I don't know how, I would, I would love to someday know how that feels. I would love to know what that feeling is. Like, I was able to put it in terms where humanity could grasp it. Right. And that's the hard part about writing. And sometimes it's the most simplest thing. I'm still learning that. I still, I sit and write a song and I'm like, what's, what's this big major line that's just going to just stab him in the heart? And sometimes it's the easiest line, the most simple line that, depending on the song. And She's picking out rings and making plans. Right, right. That's what it is. That's what it is, right? Yeah. Tell me the story real quick. There, there was a song that didn't go over real well in your household. Oh, boy. I'm trying to think which ones it is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. Again, 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 if you're listening to this podcast, there are some stories that we're going to get to that are just ground shattering. <laughs> this is not one of them. I just think it's funny. Uh, all the all brand the, new girlfriend, brand new girlfriend. You guys, this was the worst. I we wrote. I was writing with Jeff Steele, mm -hmm. who's a Hall of Fame songwriter. He's a California guy out there from where I'm from, and he's he's been around. He was in town maybe 15 years before I was, and he was a lead singer of Boy Howdy. Remember them? Oh yeah, she'd give anything. Mm -hmm. That was him singing the lead singer. So. Great writer. I mean, my gosh, one of the best writers I've ever written with. I always looked up to him, and I've learned a lot from him, too, as a kid when I came here. And we gravitated to each other because I was from out there. And, yeah. And um, he, uh, anyways, we were writing a song, and I'm trying to remember which one of us said. We wrote another song that morning, and I, I think it was Jeff. It was Jeff. We broke for lunch. We were just going to go to lunch and just kind of celebrate the song we wrote mm -hmm. and then just get another day and come right. Come home. And I, I said, man. And Jeff said, Jeff goes, let me think how he said it. He goes, jokingly. He goes, you know, a lot of writers will joke and go, man, that sounds like a hit song. What are you going to buy? You know, or something right, like that. Right, when you get your money. Right. Like, when this well, works. We didn't even have a cut yet. We just wrote right. it. That's right? a top joke. Right. Well, Jeff goes, Tell you what, if we keep writing songs, songs like that, he goes, we can all get brand new girlfriends because wives are expensive and brand new girlfriends. Now, now right. listen, right? Guys joke amongst guys. We joke all the time. Yes. That is not an off-color joke amongst the guys. Every guy in a room would hear that at all. Laugh at all. One hundred percent. No seriousness. Kidding. You would never ever write a song about it that expects. <laughs> right, 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 right. Who in their right mind would take that <laughs> right, turn into right. a song? He goes, We could all get brand new girlfriends and keep writing songs like that. Of course, I laughed and I stopped. The flint moment, I go, Man, we need to write that. And he goes, After lunch? And I'm like, After lunch. So <laughs> so we, we, we came back and we wrote the song. And um, um, anyways, I brought the demo home after we demoed it. And I played it for my wife, Brooke, and she freaking hated it. Yeah. Yeah, um, obviously. Because guys joke. We don't, yeah, we don't joke like that when girls are there, especially our girls. You don't make those jokes like in front of your girlfriend or your wife. 100%. Right? So then when you bring the song. She thinks I got a brand new girlfriend. Exactly. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not writing about a I'm brand saying. new girlfriend. I'm just Listen, the truth is always okay. It's what could potentially be tied to the truth and the assumptions that follow. It's not worth right. the headache. Or it could be a lie exaggerated. We're just yeah. a joke, right? We're just like, right? It's like. But so in a moment of a joke amongst guys, and now it's a song brought back. Yeah. I would have you I'm sure you knew. Like probably not gonna be I didn't. Friend. Because you because never? she no no because she knows I love her. She knows, you know, yeah, I don't do that. Right. So but and Jeff's wife didn't have a problem with it. 
Maybe that says something about Jeff. I don't know. <laughs> no, 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 no. Jeff's a great father reason, and husband. Like, okay, why is that funny? Right. Why is that a joke? As a matter of fact, Jeff's wife went, oh, that's cute. That's fun. <laughs> and then my wife was like, I freaking hate it. I don't want to hear it again. It sucks. And like that, right? And I'm like, I think this, this is pretty never good. This, oh, yes. Literally what she goes, ain't nobody going to cut that. That's a piece of crap. I mean, that's what she said, right? <laughs> yeah, so don't even bother. Don't even record it. Just delete it. So God has a sense of humor. So my wife, you guys, she she's she's from upstate Indiana. Her dad's a third generation farmer. Um, corn, soybeans, big farm, top corn su- suppliers, raised on a farm. Mm-hmm. Never been to Vegas. The furthest out of town I think she had been at the time she came to University of Tennessee because her mom's originally from Gulfport, Mississippi area. Her, okay. her family is. Yeah. And so they would have family reunions in Tennessee. She fell in love with Tennessee. She was an athlete in high school and cheered in high school like most girls do. And she's a very, you know, good student. She walked on at University of Tennessee and be, was a uh, cheerleader at University of Tennessee for the no Vols. Kidding. Yeah. And so, anyways, that's the further she's been out of off the farm. But that was the big city was Tennessee. Knoxville. Right. Big city, right? Right. right. Knoxville, the sprawl. <laughs> the sprawl. Yeah. Right, right, right. Never been to Vegas. Never been to Vegas. Which, by all measures... Right. Very big city. Very big city. <laughs> Not only big city, it's a big city. It's right. got all the traffic right. in big right. city. And I think about this. I knew she was going to be in culture shock. I mean, I knew. And so I, she went to Vegas and we had something to do work-wise. And I'd lined it up where she's going to get to go to resort. Or I think we were staying like the Mirage. We were staying the Mirage. And so we land in the we land in Vegas airport. And y'all been in Vegas airport. Mm-hmm. Bells ringing. All freaking walks of life. I mean, I love the people watch it's it. A see it all, yep. right? Yep. And so we land, and her eyes are like a kid at Christmas. Like, oh my gosh, man, this is. And then it first it was stunned. She was stunned. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. And then it was like, oh, this is cool. Dear oh, wow. Lights. Wait, there's probably something really cool. Here. Oh, there's something. Yeah, right, right, right. And so, oh, I want to get the resort and the pool, and I want to go check all that out and just go walk around, right? Dying. Well, and Brooke's an energetic person. So right. The thought of her, like, she's optimistic, she's funny, she's outgoing. She's right. She's probably just ready to take on Vegas full bore. Right. Right. 100%. So, anyways, we get there. I get the call. We're waiting for our bags and baggage claim. She's pacing, ready. She goes, God, well, she's bags was taking so long. You get to Vegas, you're going to wait, baggage claim. Yep. So waiting there. I get the call. Guy named Lee Miller called me, who's who's a great songwriter, buddy of mine. He was producing Steve Holy, okay, who had brand new girlfriend, okay, and to love Steve, dear friend of mine, Texas artist, okay. And um, Lee calls me up and he goes, "Hey, buddy, what are you doing?" He goes, "Where are you?" you hear the bells ringing and mm-hmm. people. I go, "Man, I just landed in Vegas." And oh, I'm sorry. He goes, "Well, I got good news and bad news." And he cut me real quick right there. And I go, "All right, let's hear it." Good news is we cut your song, and I go, "Which song?" He goes, "Brand new girlfriend." As I'm watching my wife Pace, who hates the song, <laughs> yeah. lows, it's the bane of you're her just existence. Like, you're like making sure it's not on speakerphone. You're right, like, oh, good, right, good, good. right, right. And I'm kind of laughing inside going, oh, thank you, God. This is going to be right. awesome, right? Right. <laughs> right. He said, bad news is the bridge you guys wrote in it, which I don't even remember the original bridge. He goes, it sucks. And I, he goes, can we get a different bridge that says something else? And I go, and I go, yeah, yeah, we're yeah absolutely, it. man. Sure. I said, no problem. I said, yeah, I, I'll have to go back and listen. I go, I'll tell you what. I just landed when I get to the hotel room tonight. Uh, after we get dinner or something, I'll just, I'll, you know, sure. wife hang at the pool, whatever she wants to. I'll sit there and give me an hour and I'll sit there and I'll call my co-writer and I'll freaking scratch some stuff out and send it to you. Oh, uh, that's the bad news. Steve's in the vocal booth. We need it right now. <laughs> Swear to you. If my wife was here. Right now. If she was here, she would tell you. <laughs> and so 
I'm so like, then you're praying the bags take forever. Now I'm you're not. Like, now hope I'm, the bag you, breaks down. Keep my bags for a minute. I cannot have the right, bag sitting there. Right. Now I'm not laughing inside. I'm like, oh, man, this is fixing to go south. And she's, of course, pacing. What's taking them so long? And I'm trying to talk to him and listen to her. And I go, I go, oh, it'll be here. So I sit down on one of those chairs. So I sit down on the floor with my back. At the airport. The wall, the, well, waiting on bags. And I said, all right, Lee, give me a second. So. I'm sitting there going, okay, I'm thinking in my mind, okay, they're, okay, I got a brand new girl. See, I got a brand new girlfriend. We went and jumped off deep end. Okay, they're going to L.A. They're playing, kiss, they're on the beach, right, playing kissy, kissy, smoochy, which I hated that line. Mm -hmm. Freaking Jeff loved it and said that would be the, the line that people remember to buy. It's kind of a fun It song. was. Like, it's a, like a mindless lyric. But right, right. But Jeff goes, deal. dude, that's going to be the, the line that, pe that people remember. And to this day, people go, you going to play that kissy, kissy, smoochy? Yeah, they, they freaking good, right. So I'm sitting there going, okay, they're on the beach. So. She's like, what are you doing? And I go, I'm nothing. I'm just I'm, I'm just thinking about something. I go, just our bags will be here any minute. Well, as I'm thinking, the first line I come up with, I'm sitting there playing like, not like a crazy person playing right. air guitar, but I got the, the melody, the old yeah, bridge. Yeah. And I basically go, uh, you know, she likes to write her names in the sand. You know, and, right. And I'm thinking, oh. And she goes, what are you doing? And I go, Oh, you like I, look up at I her. I look up like, at her like oh. a little kid and I go, Well, I said, They just called me from the studio. They need a new bridge on a song. I'm just, I just need four lines. I said, Well, we're waiting on our bags. Well, our bags are right there. So I grabbed the bag, set the bags down. She's like, Let's go get a ride. And I go, Hold on, let's let me work on this real quick. And she goes, What are you working on? And I just got to work on a four line bridge. I still wouldn't tell her. And then I finally go, She kept on me and I finally go, It's a brand new girlfriend, Brooke. You're working on that piece of crap. We just landed bait. You know, I started in, and I not only are you holding me up, you're holding you're hold me up with something that I despise. Right, and it's not that she. It's like I could tell she hated the song because of what it was talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And she's not a jealous type person. She no, just right. thought, right, right. Yeah, that's stupid. Right. Wives right. ain't gonna like that. That's not something to celebrate. Right, right. No she girls ain't. with a boyfriend or a wife with a husband. Nobody's gonna like to hear that song. I'm like, okay, well, I got to finish the bridge. Kind of my job. So right, right, right. And I said, I, look, I did look at it. I go, well. Steve Holy, who had just had a hit, you know, maybe three years before that, and they were trying to resurrect his career. And I go, well, he did just, artists just cut the song. Really? And I went, yeah. And she goes, hmm. You know, one of those things. Right. Like, mm -hmm. So this kid. And, and, then she, and I go, so I got to sit here and send this to Lee. I said, I'm sorry. I got a producer. She took a big breath, and I swear to you. She goes, what's the line you have? I hear you humming. And I go, well, think about what the song Sam Brooke. And I go, all I got is, she likes to write her names in the sand. I swear to you, in her rush, she's not a writer. She goes, well, duh. She's hearing wedding bells and making plans. That's what she said. And I went, that's where the guy thing kicks in. I'm like, okay, that is a cool line. And I'm going to put her line in the song. Now she's going to have to like now the she's, song. Now she's complicit. See, how, see the way guys think? See the way we think, man? That's right. She's Honey. on. She's with me. Honey, and I your at, song is going to be a hit. And I looked at her, and I go, oh, my gosh, Brooke, that's so freaking brilliant. You're, I'm, oh, yeah, that's it. Done. Send it off. Let's go to Vegas. So, and then uh, she got mad at me at the last line, too, because I went, oh, yeah, she likes to write her name in the sand. And, Brooke, here's your line. She's hearing wedding bells and making plans. I go, oh, you know, she's going to hang around a while, I guess, and I ain't even told her that I loved her yet. She goes, well, that's rude that you. I said, well, but 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 it's just a it's just a it's it a brand new line, honey. Brand it's new part, girlfriend, part right, 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 yeah, right. Like we're doing right. the team thing right. here, right? Your line, my right. line, it's right. relational, right? <laughs> I thought it was good, yeah. So, anyways, the song ends up getting cut, and like I said, God has a sense of humor. The song ended up going number one, and 
And uh, to this day, when that song comes on, she cranks it. And she, she's like, oh, there's my song. And I'm like, you hated that song. But she likes that line. I'm telling you, once you're in, you're in on it. You're it was a smart move on, I don't know whose part it was, God's probably. I'm going to give it to him. Probably so. You got to buy. That's you gotta, right. You got to pass I, on it. I got to pass because it wouldn't have been me. I'd have screwed it up and made her mad. And But, yeah, it worked. It worked. <laughs> Walk me through. So I want to go back. Growing up. High school rodeo in Modesto yep. is a long ways from writing songs in Nashville, right? It was was songwriting something that you thought would be a part of the story, or is it just something you enjoyed doing? Where did that all start? Well, I started singing in church. I love Southern Gospel quartets, and I started writing stuff when I was a kid. I started writing about, I was probably 12 years old when I started writing. I fell in love with just the, the structure of writing the messages that we got through it, you know? Um, the way I am, Merle Haggard, and just the, it put me there mentally. Yeah, and you listen to the old gospel music too. I love, like, love, love gospel old gospel music, songs, which is like a whole other freaking podcast. I miss going to church and hearing old gospel hymns. Yeah. I'm one of those guys. Yeah, I mean, like, don't I'm I'm not I'm not Hill song. Right, no, right. I'm not either, but I sure miss those. Uh, there was a there was there's a connection between suffering and worship. There always has been right. between human suffering and the right. worship that comes out of it. You think about 100%. like the 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 music that came out of the slave ships. That's not supposed to happen. No. That level of human God. suffering and the worship that came out of it. And so you look at that period of music and the writing, like the story behind It Is Well With My Soul. Oh, my gosh. The guy's family's died. Yeah. And he writes that song on the bow of the ship going over where they went down. He lost everything. everything. He writes It Is Well With My Soul. Everything. Like, when you hear the stories behind the 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 gospel that was in that period Amazing of time. Amazing grace. How could you not feel drawn to music uh, songwriting when you see what it can be? Right, the golden years of, of worship right. music. Right, and those old hymns were scriptural. Scriptural. Yep. Too, you know. And yep. I'm, I'm not saying today's not. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, yeah. I'm just, uh, yeah. You don't have I have seen it. the difference though. I've literally, and I love our church. I've they'll do the new stuff, which I like some of that stuff. And every once in a while, they'll come out with it yeah. as well. Dude, and you can feel you can feel the whole yeah. change. Yeah. And I'm like, Without look at there. Yep. Yeah. Well, and the human experience that was connected to it. That's right. You know what I mean? Like, That's right. Like the the stories that came out of that songwriting period. It's like what you're saying about when you write a song and it fits over the frame of humanity. Right. Same. Same thing. Everybody's going to go through things in their life, but that to me, to me, yeah, that period of life will never be replicated. What we see in those songs, and I would never. encourage anybody go through go through a hymnal. Go find like your granddad's hymnal from his old church. That's forever. right. Like, so if that's your roots, right. How many? I mean, think of all the music careers that have been launched that started in a church. Oh. You told me this. The Ryman Auditorium was Ryman a church. Auditorium, the original Grand Ole Opry was a church. I, I, until you told me. I had no idea That's until right. you told me that. But there is, there is a deep connection between music and the church history and that. That's it, It's amazing. That's a whole, and, other, other, whole other podcast. But it, you're right, so though. It's written under suffering. I mean, yeah. it's where it was just all they had was God to cling to. And it was, mm -hmm. I think it was like a divine Holy Spirit movement in that person's heart. Yeah. And you know what I think it is? I think when you have nothing else to cling to, right? Worship is more authentic. Worship I agree. can't can't be as authentic if you've got what feels like options. Right. Because no, 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 nobody does. Nobody right. has options. No. We can think that we do. Like somebody could have a million dollars in the bank and feel like that's an option, but it's not gonna be there at the end. No. You can have fame and all the things that come with it. And feels like, you know, I got options in my life. It's fleeting. The end, yeah, 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 yeah. When yeah. someone has nothing else to cling to that's gone through loss or suffering right, or right. all the things that we go through and they realize the desperation that's connected to the gospel, right? of course it's going to be a purer version of worship. Right, right. 
these are people at the depths that wrote that stuff. You know, yes. like you say, man, we're, yeah. we're basically, it always reminds me, I think it was a Paul that said his grace is sufficient. Yeah. Right. Is that right. right? Yeah. And I think that's where, let me think where Paul was, was he, he was in prison when right. he, when he, in like, chains, in chains going, you know what? I'm at the bottom. I'm fixing to have my head lopped off, but his grace is sufficient for me. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Well, peace that passes understanding. Right. We right. casually throw that out there. Right. We are such a, a spoiled generation. Our suffering is so mild, and yet peace that passes understanding in its actual practice right. means peace that goes against all of my circumstances. Right, 100%. You have heard us talk about them, and now they are here. Roper buildings are starting to pop up all over Arizona. Um, I remember, I, I probably said this already, but when I thought about a pole barn, I would think about like my grandpa's hay shed. This is not that. These are customizable buildings. It looks like you're building your horse a house. These are some of the prettiest buildings you can imagine and for a cheaper price point. Uh, we've said before that we're not gonna partner with anybody unless it's a product we would pay retail for and people that we would do business with. And Dan Scarborough, the owner of the company, and Dustin Searcy, the guy that's running it here in Arizona, I'm telling you, both of those guys, I would be proud to do business with any day of the week. The reason that matters is that they're people that are gonna stand by their work, they're gonna stand behind their product, this is an amazing product at a cheaper price point from people you can trust. Check them out at roperbuildings.com. If you're coming to Arizona this or any winter, check out the roping calendar. It is the fastest search engine for how to find what you're looking for here in Arizona. You can search by date, which I mean, there are places you can find dates. You can also search by arena where you click on the arena you're looking for and all those flyers will pop up. You can also search by jackpot number and event like you're looking for a different kind of event, but also the search by jackpot number. That's my favorite. So if I'm just looking for how to find the number 15 ropens, I click on the 15.5 tab and only the flyers with those ropens will show up. It is the most useful tool in the state of Arizona, in my humble opinion. Check it out, ropingcalendar.com. And yes, before you ask, there's an app. Sorry, took a quick break. But I guess my point being is you said that uh, an illustrious songwriting career started in church. And my right. point being like, yeah, that's where so many of right. them have. Right. Because that's the, that's the soil. That that soil produces the heart behind the song right right career right so i agree you start at 12 started at 12 i started watching these writers and i would songs would come out and i would go oh man that sounds like a bob mcdill song the way he would say that you know um like you know i knew who he was when don williams came out when it was a single like um you know good old boys like me and stuff and Really, you know, cut my teeth on that, and then would you go back and look on the? I would look on the album, record, and yeah. sure enough, when the record would come out, I'd buy the record. My mom and dad would buy it for me. I was just a kid. I'd look. I'd go right to that song. Yep, Bob McDill. I no knew kidding. it. I could pick him. Yeah, no Sonny Throckmorton from Merle Haggard, "The Way I Am," all that. So I could pick those songs. Those guys started even writing. as a kid. Even as a kid, I like over listening to him. I could when I heard a new song come out, I'm like. That's got to be Red Lane, or that's got to be so and so. Sometimes I'd miss it, but most times I got it, dude. And this is before Google. Yeah, I'd have to wait till the record came out. That's incredible to have that level of insight and information that early, right? I mean, that's just born. Which with I just it. loved it. It was a love. You could argue that you're born with that. If you were doing it that young, that's just special, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's something a young guy. Well, songwriting is not something a young guy is supposed to be able to do, right? Because right, you're right. talking about life experience. Yeah, I don't know how good I did it at twelve. I mean, I don't well, no, 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 no. But I'm saying like to, to even have an eye for it. Or an earphone. Oh, right. Like I know what you're saying. That's, right. I don't think that's common. What's that whole thing like 10,000 hours deal, right? Right. right. I started right. young and, you know, yeah. I was a better writer you than I was. You became an outlier early because of when you right. started. Right. And I loved rodeo. I just, you know, and I, I got to go on some big places and rodeo and, 
you know, go through the whole permit process, PRCA and stuff like that. I just wasn't as good what as I, I just bull riding. I just wasn't as good as the rest of those guys, you know. You might have been other than you were like twice their size. Well, no, I, bull, I was, I, bull riding I'm size. six foot tall, but I was about 150 pounds. I was a scrawny little skinny guy. Yeah, six foot tall. I mean, but I still didn't, I still didn't have the gear. Yeah. I wouldn't, I, I was, I was, I, I was decent, but I wasn't great like right. those guys were. And, I, and, you know, just, but I sure had a love for it. And, loved, yeah. and I loved roping too. I picked up roping too, you know, so, but I, and I still get team rope every chance I can, but hauling the kids is hard. But, right. But yeah, I think, uh, you know, that 10,000 hours thing just, it's kind of cut the path for me and. I always wanted to do it. I didn't know how I was going to do it. Well, know? from Modesto, how does that story go? Oh, man. How much time you got? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm at your house. You tell me how much time I got. Okay. Well, how long until you kick me out? That's how much long. No, you, got, you can stay that, as long as that's you want. That's how much no, time. No, we're, we're having fun. No, stay as long as you want. My house, your house. Um, it was, I was in Modesto, and I remember I'd, I'd gotten, um, I got injured at a rodeo, and, um, had a compound fracture. Oh mercy! On a, on an elbow, yeah. Which whatever, and yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, what it can happen. Walk right, stay in shape. What's I? What's that old <laughs> saying? That guy like, you know, I take vitamins every day and work out, but you can walk outside and get hit by a vitamin truck, right? <laughs> so, 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 <laughs> sure, you do. You do the best you can. It happens. But, yeah, but um, so. Friend of mine in Modesto started telling me, "Hey man, you know what you ought to do? You would be fun. You know what's fun? Because it was for school too. You know, I had some college stuff going on, and and it was it was a school thing. I'd started earlier on, so I'm kind of backtracking uh, on the side, just like for school. We got back in those days, you got like credits for it, like like civil service stuff or whatever. Okay. And so the police department had um, what they call explorers. Modesto police did, and um, so I went on there and, and just." You know, I always loved cops and respect them, but I never, not, not sure that I ever really was like, oh, I'm going to be a cop growing right. up. But um, I did the Explorers and I loved it. Met some great people, had a great time. It's when cops were loved. You know, you know what I mean? You're right. It was great. Right in the good old right. days, right? Good old days. And so I started, I started with Explorers and from there I went to reserves and I was still rodeoing, you know, and I was doing college and I was still writing too and goofing off and just, writing my own songs nobody really heard them you know <laughs> though i'd sit in with a band and right. play an original or something like that you know every once in a while a person right. go hey that song was good what was that you know not not so right. often but every now and then yeah and well the and, grassroots of the music mm -hmm. industry there's so much more of that that goes on in the world right. than career musicians anyway right. i mean right. that's, you're a part of it at a very organic right level right and i knew i always wanted to do music i didn't know there are no guarantees there's still no guarantees and but I didn't know how I would get to Nashville with country music being from out there, even though, you know, Haggard and Buck Owens and all yeah. and Dwight Yoakam, all those guys, all that California Bakersfield sound, which I mm -hmm. love. And so I kept working in the police department as a reserve. And one day um, I'd gotten, I was out of high school. And do you remember the congressman we had in California? There was some scuttle, you know, scuttlebutt behind him. Um, what was his name? Gary Condit. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. Well, so his brother, Burl Condit, who was a lieutenant at okay. Modesto PD, came to me one day about a baby face and 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 just again the scrawny bull rider kid, that, right? You know. And he goes, "Hey, man." He goes, "You you want to you want would you like to work in narcotics?" And I'm like, "What <laughs> narcotics?" And you're how old? I was well when he first hit me up. I was 19, fixing to be 20. 
And like a like an like an actual real deal law enforcement job, and you're yeah, a real deal. And I was old. only a reserve, so I'd had some training and had to go to classes and stuff to do it. And I was just like, just I was getting a little side money on the job, you know, working with other cops when they didn't have enough manpower, and and I was probably, you know, one of the worst cops I could be because <laughs> I loved the policemen, loved the cops, but I was always, you know, I would, you know. I never treated people bad. I'd let them control the situation. I always like, I wasn't a guy you that wrote tickets. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, Terrible cop because you didn't have an ego. <laughs> right, right, right. You're right. You know what right. I mean? But, but you know, the dirt bags got treated like dirt bags yeah. back like they should be, right? Right. And so, anyways, uh, <clears throat> I'm like, well, let me, yeah, sure, tell me a little bit more about it. And I just thought, he's going to put me on the street working narcotics. And he goes, well, this was 19... 88 and he goes well there's this thing that they've started and he goes it's called the high school buyer program and i go okay so i just go to high schools and buy them from kids he goes no you go back into high school undercover as a student and anybody listening is going to have the same reaction i had I know. and that is wait hold on you're talking about the storyline from 21 Jump right that's what it was and then then and, and until listen until the first week in December of 2023, I had not one clue that that was a real thing. That's a real not thing. Not a clue. Well, I don't know Hollywood people, but I've heard through that high school, the California Buy Program, they did it in Northern California and Southern. That's where they got the idea for the deal. <laughs> so, so if, well, keep going because I would argue it, it, it tracks. It, there's no way it wasn't based on that. Right, right. So, and I don't know how. I don't, I wasn't in Hollywood, but, but anyways, uh, so they sent me off to all these training facilities, and I had to grow my hair long. I had to get two earrings popped in my left ear, and 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 of course my dad made complete fun of me, and all my buddies did too. You know, I couldn't tell. I could calm down, dude. I'm a cop now, right? And I can just now really. This is the first time I've ever first podcast I believe I've ever talked about it because there for a while. You know, you're on a an NDA, you can't disclose anything, but it's been so long now that I can talk about it. You know what I mean? Right. So right. Well, yeah, and I mean. It's not something you want to openly discuss no. at the time, obviously. Right. So, right. So I thought <clears throat> the way it was put to me, I thought, man, this is, you know, we're going to go in and I was like, so I'm going to go in and buy drugs from kids. He goes, yeah, but the purpose of it is, he's, here's a sad part. Purpose of it is, is their parents, uncles, adults are dealing through them. They're like carriers coming into the school. It's a farm system. They're farm it's an system. actual real drug industry right, right, being right. filtered into the right, high schools. Right. So our main objective is to get those people. So you buy from the kids, which means you can lead to buy from them. You know what I'm Jeez. saying? So, and these aren't good. These weren't good people. These were, these were some bad people. Well, and so I would hope, I want to interject real quick. I would hope that anybody listening that's, has any drug affiliation with their buddies at school to hear this and go, Hey, this isn't just my buddy. Cause I, I know I, I, uh, Cesar De La Cruz was up in my house one day and wow. he was talking about the way that they will target kids from mid suburban neighborhoods yeah. and sort of recruit. It's almost a recruitment effort, like buddy them up because they know those kids can talk to cops. Those kids can get them into doors that they can't get into themselves. Right. So they will actually recruit mid suburb type kids but then the minute something goes down, they get caught. Who do they all turn on? Right. That kid. That kid. So it's actually way more, it is way more dangerous than what just like, you know, buying weed from your buddy in the bathroom. Right. This has been going on in high schools. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're, you're right. saying that they, they, to your point, big drug activity that happens outside of the school, parents using their kids to get their hooks in the kids at school. 
and they're going to send you in right <laughs> undercover right. as a right. high school student. Right. And it had been going a couple of years before I did it there. I, as a matter of fact, one of the guys that trained me, I, I don't know if I should say his name, but I probably won't, but he's, he's retired now, but he trained me. He had done the high school by a couple of years before I did and went Jeez. in undercover as a, as a guy. And, and, uh, he did really well too. And he, to hear some of the stories, I was like, man, what am I getting myself into? Well, yeah, how, how what? Because I had to be somebody again that I wasn't. I had to dress like a total. Think about it. I was is in the late eighties, eighty nine. Yeah. You know, and and uh, I'm still rodeoing on the side. So how can I go to rodeo? Kind of, kind of. I had to put a stop to that because sure. I can't show up to rodeo with long hair and earrings. No, sir. And one of the people I know. Certainly not now, maybe, but back then. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So a couple of guys I was close to, they kind of knew, you know, that yeah. I trusted. And and so, yeah, they gave me the whole whole training. I went through the training on what drugs are what, um, how to get out of certain situations, you know, all the whole deal. And, I, and they started calling me by my – we had to come up with a fake name. What was, they, what was your favorite? Steve name? Reynolds. They had to, they had Steve Reynolds. I'll never forget Stephen Shane Reynolds. They used my first name in case somebody said Shane. They thought they recognized yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. And I turned. I go, "What's well, my middle name?" My mom right. didn't call me by my middle name. So what are you talking about? You know what I mean? Right. They always right. had. So a, there was a, even even that was thought out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. And so then I had to. They they put me like coming from San Rafael, California, which is a Bay Area. So I had to go to San Rafael. Um, they had an inside guy at San Rafael High School. Over when there. you say an inside guy, today, what what about? some guy that the drug the, the 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 drug unit had met with before, going, we need we're going to send some undercover cops into some high schools. This, we're going to say they came from this school, so you got gotcha. to make them up fake records and have a record on them and make it up where they're okay, they're a little troublemaker, tro- fit the spot, right? Kind of fit the stereotype. How much knowledge did the school have that I went that in? You I went to. Into? They had none whatsoever. They did not know I was there. So nobody at the school was prepped that you were coming in as that? No. No. The the only reason I went into those schools is because somebody inside the school, whether it be one school, it was a dean. um, Another school was a teacher who called the drug unit and said, there's a pandemic over here. It's bad. And kids have gotten, had died, overdose. We've had some fights. We've had, we know the parents are doing this and that, yada, yada. And they would field these calls, and the more they got, then they would they would send some undercover investigators, these people who called on the side in a hidden location, and get the info and go, yeah, the school probably needs that. So this was really looked at hard before we went into those schools. Sure. Yeah, and they so, vetted that there was actually a mm-hmm, problem needed. Mm-hmm. Okay. So anyways, well, they sent me to San Rafael. I went over there, and I learned the town. I spent two days a weekend over there going to restaurants, towns, learning it, walking through the high school. Um, one of the guys was a, I think the guy was a coach or teacher. His dad was a cop. Okay. And, and so he had a way to help me get the fake records and documents and stuff like that. Was there a moment at 19 where like, what am I doing? Yeah. It was like, it was surreal. This can't be real. I felt like I was in a movie. Yeah. It It was weird. Yeah. And so, and yet I was still trying to like this isn't me. I'm, I'm trying to hold on to me. And I, and it was weird because I still had music in the back and all my right. rodeo buddies I was missing, you know, and right. just getting to do what I love to do. And and so anyways, it was, you know what? I look back, it was just a path where God put me in and, and it was a cool experience. But anyway, so I learned San Rafael. They sent me into a high school in Northern California. It was Patterson High School. I guess I could say that. Patterson, yeah. California. And it, was, it had that bad problems. And they stuck me in there and Remember now, they've been calling me for three months. They've been calling me Steve, 
at training. So I had to learn to answer to Steve. Oh, absolutely. And so what was funny, the, my first day of, of Patterson High School, t- a kid sat in two behind me. His name was Shane. So when they would give a roll call my first day, the teacher's giving a roll call. I'm the new student. And, and they're like, before they could call my name, Steve Reynolds, they go, Shane. And I freaking jumped. I'm like, Ooh, you almost said oh, my cover's blown. And all, and, and, and I, I was like, kind of, I kind of jumped and I kind of, you know, just made some scratch right. or to get away right. from whatever. Right. And then he called my name. I go here and he goes, you're new. And I said, yeah, because we've got a new student in the class, whatever, you know, Steve Reynolds. And where are you from? I go, San Rafael, you know, and I just had to play the little tough guy. Dude, you're, and you're in it. I mean, I'm in you it. You don't have one single friend in that no, room. I don't have nobody. Nobody knows I'm there. Nobody Jeez. knows I'm there. The, the, the Patterson high school and the Dean is the one that had been calling. And uh, I forget his name now. I, I don't. If I had a, th- you know, might hit me here in a little bit. But it's been so long ago. I can see his face in my mind. Mm. But, anyways, I had to sit there and play the part, and I had to do the schoolwork all over again. I was a senior. I went in as a senior because nobody knew who I was. If I got kicked out for not doing the work, I You're can't out. do my job. You're out. I'm out. So I had to come home. I had to come to the. I'd go to school. Go straight to the drug unit. Do my homework. Like a no kid, freaking way. Oh yeah, and they, they used to make so much fun of me. Your homework? Oh well, so, no. I mean, I mean, it, actually, it was, it was funny. Some of the secretaries used to make fun of me. Is I'm like, hey, wh- what is this? And right, I don't even remember this. We oh, just weren't I, paying attention when you were in high school. That kind of stuff. You I know? wouldn't pass right. a senior right, class right. right now. I don't. I'm almost positive. Right, and I. Oh yeah, going back like to. Like they had me in like, you know, algebra two and all, whatever oh, they did. Geez. And I'm like, I don't remember this crap. Should have put you in like the drug kid class. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Why don't you just put me in continuation Why do I have to aim so high? Right, this isn't right, real. right, right. <laughs> so it was a great experience. I sat there and I had great stories. I mean, some funny stuff that happened. But um, anyways, I started buying immediately. I mean, it probably took me about two weeks. And you, know, you you look around. You, I mean, let's just face it. You yeah, can see the you drug. Can you can see is. the drug crowd. And yeah. sometimes you can. It's the rich kid. It's the kid. You know. Yep. Ones yep. you least expect. And you hear rumors, and then you you get acquainted with them and talk to them. You never mention. You know, they weren't really. They care less about pot marijuana. They were after the acid, the heroin, right. cocaine. Right, That's right. what we were after. Who cares about the rest of that stuff? But. It, Pot would help us lead to more. Right. That was your introduction to the kids. Right. Would, and if the kids step outside the lo- right. legal lines. Right. And the kids that, that sold to me, it was more about, hey, we're not going to throw the book at them. Maybe it's a, like a, a shaking, scaring moment, a sober moment, but right. it's more about getting them help. Right. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Getting them out, getting yeah. them out of a bad situation. Yep, yep absolutely. So, so anyways, and, and my heart went out to a lot of those kids. The kids that were buying to me, I, I looked at some kids going, this kid don't have a shot, man. Right. This kid, what if he don't he sell, do? he might go home and get beat. Yeah. I mean, that's how it was. Yeah. So. Jeez. Yeah, it was bad. Do you remember the first purchase of something hardcore that you got? Do you remember that first? Yeah. Yeah, I bought, yeah, I was in Patterson. I bought um, black tar heroin from a Mexican gang member who wasn't at school. He would come there during the lunch. And a kid from off campus would come there during he the was, lunch. So he period. was like, had graduated, and one of the kids go, "Man, you ever try heroin?" I'm like, "No, man." He goes, "Man, you got to try it." He goes, we'll, we'll, "We'll get it." And he goes, "You got money?" I go, "Yeah." And then I did the whole deal. So he went over and talked to this kid, and I had to stand away, and they waved me over. And the Mexican gangbanger is looking at me, and he's like, "Where you from, man? What's your deal?" And I go, "Man, I'm just a student here from the Bay Area. I'm brand new." And he goes, "And he goes, man, he's cool. He's blah blah blah." And end up, I ended up giving him money, gave me the black tar heroin, nothing happened. So then, because the guy, nothing happened to that guy immediately. I mean, he just kept then selling. He kept selling fine. me cocaine, heroin, acid. 
And then I'd listen to him talk where he was getting it. You know what I mean? That kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, because once they trust you, then what's the right. point of keeping secrets? Right. Mm -hmm. So it was a whole, and the whole time I'm having to do reports when I come in, plus my homework. So, the, so, the, so. <laughs> You're like, this job sucks. I'd come in and have two, three hours of reports and entering <clears throat> drugs into evidence and then doing homework. And yeah. I don't know if it's probably a stupid question, but like, would they teach you what you were supposed to say? Because if you just bought heroin and you said you'd never tried it, oh, yeah. you come to school the next day, you think your buddies going to be like, well, what'd you think? Yeah. You'd have to have some sort of an educated, I, I couldn't tell you. Right. I, I have no, no clue. You did. I have no things, idea. Certain things they would ask. They even taught me how to, if somebody, I, I was in one situation where they, uh, this, was, this wasn't in high school. I mean, I'm fast forward, and after yeah. my high school stuff, stuff was over, they put me on a on a drug buy where it was cocaine, where they actually put the cocaine on the mirror and said, try it, you know. So, Jeez. you know, you think on your feet, dude, I got to report to a job, and if I freaking go to my job, right? you know, the, right. Whole, the whole testing it on the gums and going numb, that's all BS. None of that, that's not right. That don't okay. work. So you would just have to be real convincing and have your story down. Yep, yep. Got it. Yep. Um Sorry, I didn't mean to get off. Oh no, the topic, no, no! Like no. I would assume your buddies would be like, "What'd you think?" And you have to be like, "Oh man, <laughs> yeah. oh yeah, that was good drugs." One hundred percent. One hundred percent. I've been there where they fired up buying crack, where they fired up, you know, right there. crack pipe right there and smoking. Do you want some? No, oh, man, my probation officer. I got to be there tomorrow if it's in my system. I can't. Right. I said, "Heck, I probably get out of this room because that secondhand smoke." You know, I was right. watching. I've watched people fall over just so right there in front of me. You know, Jeez. one kid I bought from. He, they found him. I bought from him, and then like two days later, I guess he, they'd found him dead with a needle in his arm still. So we weren't able to really help that kid. He was a young kid. Oh my god! So it's like you know, it's that kind of stuff that you see. The underbelly they don't tell you about. Yeah, right. How long were you? How long were you there? Well, I was at Patterson for one. They gave me one semester, and then I went to a full an, semester. Full semester. Then I went to another school, another full semester. So at the end of the year, we went back to the first school, made the roundup. And then went to this that same day, went to the, or the day after, went to the second school and made the roundup. You had to spend an entire semester year. as a student. A year. Because I went to two each, schools. At, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. At each school, like a full school year. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. So then, okay, so walk me through this. At, like, <clears throat> at what point did it start to, like, full bore, start to create the the results they were hoping for? Would it, I mean, you said. Because all the, the the numbers and the people I were getting to was people they had were aware of and some they weren't aware of. And I started getting, I mean, we had a ton of them. And it was just like. What was your social life like outside of the school? Did they ever hide it? I hid. Yeah. I'd come home, park my, they gave me an undercover car, an old, an old, uh, old Eldorado. It was, it was a piece of crap. Matter of fact, matter of fact, when I was, I'd take the country roads to high school because I lived quite a ways from, from the first school. Mm -hmm. And there was a motor cop that I knew real well. And he's retired now. We still talk. He was a sergeant at the time. He was on a motorcycle. Mm -hmm. Sergeant Roger Higby. And he's a buddy of mine still. We still talk. And I'm in that undercover car. And it's, it's a, we're at a stoplight. And he pulls up next to me on the motorcycle. And I go, that's freaking Higby. And I rolled down the window. I looked around, made sure nobody's around. I wasn't anywhere near the school. I was right, in the country. Right. He was kind of coming back in the city out there, just right on the city, county. Right. And I go, what's up, Raj? And he kind of looked over at me. He looked down like he recognized me. And he just shook his head in disgust and turned and drove off. Never recognized He thought you. I went to the dark side. Uh, and so I immediately, so call, I immediately called another buddy of mine who was a detective. He was a motor cop who ended up being a detective. 
that worked on the Lacey Peterson case in Modesto, a guy named no John kidding. Bueller, um, who's a dear friend of mine, one of the best guys I've ever met. Still talk to him. He was a big mentor of mine in that in that world. I called him. I go, John, I just saw Higby. And John knew I was working undercover. And I go, he drove off. He thinks I'm, I'm yeah. this way. Can you call and John? John, started laughing. <laughs> and so he calls Higby and he goes, and before he called Higby, he, Higby goes, he starts going, I just ran into Shane. He's got long hair and earrings. What's wrong? I this guy's a he's dirt. Doing. He turned out to be. And John's like, whoa, 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 whoa. He's, he's working undercover, Raj. And Raj goes, oh, my God, I feel so bad. I didn't know. It was that kind of thing. He's right? hyper-judged. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but anyways, yeah. Did I start, they, did I start, they, how, like, and if anybody in the school ever found out, then the whole thing's I blown. could be killed. Yeah. yeah. It, Even if it's people that worked in the school, because you wouldn't know if, like, if there were people that were working at the school that were allowing it or looking the other way, if anybody at like the staff or any of those guys found out, you you could have been completely compromised. 100%. 100%. Yeah, and I carried, nobody knew. I had a little, you had a gun, I had a little school. tiny little bread of 380 I kept on me. No nobody knew that. Way. Yeah, I don't even know Burl Condit knew it. Sorry, Burl. <laughs> I had one on me. So, Statute of limitations has expired. It's, it's had expired. Had right. So, so, anyways, uh, and so the first school, Patterson, the dean had called. And so I knew everybody that, 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 he, that he, that dean didn't know there was somebody there. He had just called a drug unit going, hey, I'm dean so-and-so. I need help at this school. So there's no way he would have been connected to the drug sale or he wouldn't have made the call. Oh, he like was trying he, to clean up his school. That's what I'm saying. If he made the call to try to get it cleaned up, chances mm-hmm. are a guy like that wouldn't be a danger to you. No, that's right. You remember that movie, uh, Morgan Freeman, Lean on Me? Remember where he goes and he plays true story where he plays was it Joe Joe Clark he goes the principal in the school and he goes and cleans it up oh. some of your some of your listeners will remember that's how this dean was he was just fighting the he was bless you he was just fighting the um, the element the, yeah. the the bad stuff coming in out of school trying to clean it up for the for, you know to, well, school lo- it's and high losing school. right and losing. and losing and he yeah. had the biggest heart and he was a precious man and so he had called and called and called. And the the investigators went out and got information from him, but they never told him anything. They go, well, you know, we'll look into it. And he's like, always gets told they'll look into it, but nothing ever happens. Well, then six, seven months went by. They never contact him. So he's like, I'm on my own. I'm on his own. Well, they sent me in that school. He didn't have a clue who was there. So as, as, as I remember the first day I came in as a new student, about a week, he called me in his office. And he said, you're a new student here from San Rafael. You know, I see you. I watched you a little bit. You're kind of hanging out. Don't want you to fall in with the wrong crowd. He tried to. He tried. Right. He was trying. Yeah. And I just played along. You know, going, oh, yes sir, no, yes sir. I'm, I'm cool. Or sir, you know, that kind of thing. Inside of your mind, you're like, I am here to fall into. And the I wrong couldn't crowd. say anything. That's right. right. I right. couldn't say I'm anything. I'm literally here for no other reason than to get in with the wrong crowd. Right. So everything you're saying, right. I agree. I appreciate it, but I'm going to disappoint right. you. Yep. And so, and during that school time, I'd see him in the hallways, and I'd go. Hey, Mr. So-and-so. Well, I think because I, none of the kids would. They're just like make fun right, of him or right, whatever. Right, right, right. And so. So then he really wants you to succeed. He took a liking to me. <laughs> he took a liking to me, but he didn't know why. Here's, right, this, here's right. this kid that looks like a drug right, addict. Because right. I looked like a drug addict. Yeah. I'm long hair. I stayed dirty. I li- literally wore dirty clothes. You're saying hi to him, but you know, like, I'm going to break your heart because I'm going to do everything you asked me not to do. Right, right. So right, hi, hi, but there's a perp- <laughs> and he And I think he took a liking to me, and he'd, he'd come up behind me sometimes and put his arm like, how you doing, Steve? I'm like, I'm good, sir. I'm good. He goes, how's the grades? I'm good. 
Well, Miss So-and-so said you need to work on a little bit more in this class. I'm thinking, oh, geez, I ain't got time. I got to write all these reports. <laughs> right. Right, right, right. But I'm like, yes, a lot of yes, pressure. <clears throat> so one day I purposely um, got in trouble. It, and I knew I had a week left at that school. And I purposely got in trouble. And I forgot. I'm trying to think of what I did. It was like an English class or something. I popped off to the teacher or something. Which the teacher was kind of an a-hole anyways. You know what I mean? So I, was, I kind of had fun. I'm getting paid like at this point. a dream job, right? Right, right, right. right. be in trouble. There's well, no consequences. I don't remember what odds we're talking. I'm going to say all those things I wanted to say for four years when I was in here for real. Right. Here's my shot. Right. And so teacher goes, get to the office and sent me with a pink slip. On the way to the office, I stopped. We had pay phones then. Right. I called. We had a whole undercover line. It was literally, we make fun of like the bat phone, the red phone. Yeah. We literally had a red phone. We had a red phone. And if that phone rings. If Steve Reynolds calls. If that phone rings, you're supposed to answer it, Reynolds Redwood Decking. So I didn't know. We never, we never did anything about like who my dad was going to be. My dad's name, I forget his name, was on the, on my the, you know, the coming from San Rafael parents information. So if they called on you, like if you got in trouble and they had to call, your they parents, had to call home, they would call that number. And the minute that phone lit up and it, it didn't give a phone ring, it gave a womp, womp, womp like that. And all the police radios would shut off. They'd go dead silent over the intercom and somebody would go Reynolds Redwood decking. That's no what they'd do. Yeah, yeah. It's literally a bad phone. That, that's exactly what it was. So you Wish called, I had Burl Condon so you, on here with me. Was, <laughs> he'd do it too. It'd be fun. He'd, he'd make fun of me because he, I, he's, he, we had a ball. So you called that phone? They, yeah, I called that phone. And they go, Reynolds Redwood Ducky. I'll go, hey, it's me. It's Shane. Steve. And they're like, hey, what's up? And I go, I just got in trouble on purpose. I'm going to the dean's office. That's where they send me. Principal never sees anybody. We go straight to the dean. And I go, and I, I wish I could remember his name. He's such a great man. And he goes, uh, and I go and, and and I go. Let me talk to Burl. And I and Burl jumped on the phone. I said, Burl, I got a week left. This guy, he's going to be mad at me because he took a liking to me. And this is the guy that, yeah, we met him. Blah blah blah. I go, I got a week left. I got to tell him who I am. I got to. I can trust this guy. This man is drowning. In he's a drowning. He feels like there's no help. He's called. I've been now. It's a year ago. He called. Jeez. And and Burl goes, go ahead, go ahead. If you feel like it, you go ahead. And I said, I do. Your call. Balls in your court. I said, he goes, you got it. So I walked in there. He shut the door. Steve, I'm so disappointed in you. I can't, I've tried to talk to you. I've tried to tell you you're hanging around the wrong crowd. And I'm like, time out. No, you listen to me. Right. I said, sir. And I, and he goes, he goes, I don't know what to do with you. And I go, have patience. And he looked at me and he goes, I've had all the patience. (laughs) And I, and I, and I remember saying to him, I go, let me ask you a question. And now I'm, now I'm sitting up on the edge of my chair and he's looking at me like, huh? Different demeanor. I had a total different demeanor. You're like I a go, drug kid. I go, like slouched back. Right, right. Sitting low in your chair, like whatever, dude. Right. Screw you. Right You're up on the front of your chair, which is how I normally act because I was taught to act that way. Sure. So, I'm sitting up on my chair and I go, Mister So and So. I go, about a year ago. I know for a fact you called Stanislaus County Drug Enforcement Unit, and I said you had a problem in your school. His eyes started getting real no wide. No freaking way. And he, and he goes, and I go, you called and you asked for help. And he leans back in his chair and he goes, what? And I go, you heard what I said. You called and you asked for help. He Can got up, just- he got up and shut the door of his office and sat back down. And I, he goes, how do you know that? And I go, I'm him. They sent me, I'm your help. Asked and answered. Yeah. And he goes, and he broke down crying. 
Oh my gosh. Mm. Oh, can you imagine? Mm. Can you put yourself like just from a humanity standpoint, can you put yourself in that moment? Yeah. Still chokes me up. I mean, I cry easy, so that's not really an achievement. But like, like <clears throat> for all of the flood of emotions that would have had to have been over in that moment of like, they did listen. Not only did they listen, they did answer. Wait, they answered all the way back then. Oh, mm. oh. Yeah, like, yeah, and I'd explain to them, if we would have told you I was coming yeah, to this school, yeah. you wouldn't have intended, but you might have said something to compromise the yeah. whole deal. Yeah, you would have messed up your own hopes. On and that. of course, then it started going. Oh my God, this is great. I said, okay, so here's what I need you to do. What he goes, what do you want me to do? And I go, I want you to suspend me for two days. He goes, okay, do you need two days to get ready? I go, no, I need two days to relax and sit around and watch TV and have a ball. Yeah. I'm because I'm tired. I don't want to do homework anymore. <laughs> and he's laughing like you are. And that's literally kind of what I said. So he sent me home on a two day suspension. I go straight to the drug unit. <clears throat> I, we got his number. Burl Condit calls the office. Yeah. I go out there on a weekend and we met at some remote place and we show him all the kids, all the dealers outside, all the people coming into the school. We show the pictures we'd already, because like when I would buy from somebody, I had to memorize a license plate number and I had to memorize that person's face. Jeez. And then they would show me a lineup of four people and I went, oh, that's him that's right, him there. right there. Oh, yeah, that's the guy. That's the guy that comes back to the car. So that kind of stuff. Right. And this was a lot of people. And so... We had all these reports and pictures, and he, some of them he did not know that were that were coming in outside the boundary of the school, coming through the school through the kids. And so, I'd meet him. We met him, you know, off location on a Saturday. And, okay, and I, I'm just I'm just imagining the demeanor of a guy that thought he was completely alone and drowning. Oh, he was. Been, yeah, been, now he was a total built. different person. Yeah, and. He was ecstatic. In the, <laughs> was there was there any time where he's like, "Are you sure not that 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 kid's not in?" You're like, no, like no, but for like, maybe yeah, just I had I had one like that, but it wasn't there. I had oh, one okay. like that where they thought for sure that's a kid. This kid was he no, he was nowhere near drugs. Straight arrow, really? Straight, yeah, they yeah. were just convinced he had. He looked apart, but he's like, "No, nah, I ain't uh, this kid." No, I, I've talked to this kid. Yeah, this kid's like straight. He's scared to death. He's scared to take a drink. He's that you know really. Like, I'm nah, like, look yeah, again, look right. again, because he just seems like a real jerk. Right, so. right, 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 and so. Anyways, and then when I went to the other high school, which was in Ceres, California, mm -hmm. which is right there next to Modesto, it's like a suburb there. Um, that was a tough one because it was closer to home. Yeah. So I had Chance to, to get recognized right, right? Right, right. But I, you got to realize how I looked. So anybody, but. Uh, it's been fun to watch the sort of meteoric rise of unbeatable feeds. Um, what that means is that when people start to feed it, they keep feeding it. And that's, that's what I like to hear because those are the results that I've had with it also. Um, it's probably just a personality defect that when I like something, I like when other people like it also. Uh, I said that Ren Richard was feeding a pound and a half to his steers. It's actually two and a half pounds, but point being, um, it's not only an amazing horse feed. It's not only the thing that has put gut health, hind gut health, um, it's a super fiber and all those things. It's also just a tremendous steer feed also. So glad you guys are liking it. Glad you guys are feeding it. Check them out. Unbeatable feeds. We live in one of the hottest real estate markets in the Western industry here in Wickenburg. It can be confusing. I know that people from out of town go, okay, where does everything happen? What's in the middle of things? What's the dark side of the moon? Let me tell you, Erin Freeman, she's not only a friend, she is an absolute professional in the real estate industry. You can find her at Erin Freeman Properties on Facebook. You can check her out at erinfreeman.realtor on Instagram and TikTok. Here's what I like about Erin. She is from a team roping family. She understands that when you call and say you're looking for arena, you don't mean a riding pin. When you say I'm looking for something with stalls, it doesn't mean four panels chained together. She understands the industry, but she also understands the, the, the lifestyle. 
One of the things I'll say about Erin, like I said, not only is she great, I don't know if she'd want me saying this, she also kind of keeps her finger on the rental industry too. So if you're looking for a rental, maybe not officially, but I can tell you she knows where it's at. She's also brutally honest. She will tell you exactly what's happening in the industry. If you're too high, if you're too low, if what you're looking for is achievable, if she has in her inventory what you're looking for, you will get an honest assessment from somebody who not only understands what you're looking for, but where to find it. Check her out, Aaron Freeman. Anybody, but um, I, I could tell you tons of stories. I remember in series, the same thing happened. We started stacking them up and I got in trouble. I had, a, a te- I had two teachers, one was great, one was probably not so great, and I picked the not so great one to get in trouble and get sent to the office. And I really, I wanted to go out of town on a trip. I think I wanted to go snow skiing at Dodge Ridge. <laughs> I really do, because all my buddies were gone. Right. Like, so I, I wasn't you. thinking ahead, and so I wasn't clear to do it. So I went and got, I went and got in trouble, and um, as I knew it was going to be a three day suspension. And so, of course, the principal chewed me. It was a principal. He chewed me out. I got to spin you for three days. And I'm like, oh, come on, man. Inside, I'm like, oh, dude, I'm going to be on the slopes freaking tomorrow. <laughs> right? It's like, it's like, this is great. And so, but one thing I didn't think about, he said to me, drop the big ball. He goes, well, I'm just going to have to call your dad and tell him to come get you. And I went, I'd never, we'd never rehearsed. Oh. I didn't know who my, my dad was just a fictitious person with a yes. name. Yes, yes. So I go, so do I have to call him and tell him to come down? Well, he goes, if you want to call him, if you want to be the one delivering the news, I go, well, he's going to beat the crap out of me anyways, or I'm going to get grounded or whatever. Might as well be me. If you'll let me call, he goes, go ahead. So he goes, he goes, uh, whatever the secretary was, she goes, can you let him use a phone in, in, in the, what's his, whatever, another office there. And I was hoping, hoping and thanking God she didn't say here, just use mine because I couldn't talk in front of her. Right. And it worked out. It was like a right. God thing, really. I, I wow. walked in the room. Yeah, what would you what would you have said? You'd have just had to call and go with the story. Hey dad. I would I would I would, couldn't have said anything. I would have said, Hey dad, it's me. Right. They would have picked up real quick. Yeah. I just got suspended for three days and I need I they need They said to call you and I need yeah, yeah. and you should come get me. Okay. And I'd had to and they right. they'd be going, Oh sh- oh shit, oh shit, blah blah blah. Right. And I'm like, Okay, yeah, okay, yes, sir, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay, I'll tell them. All right, bye. Boom, I hang up. And then just hope for the best, right? We this is something we never rehearsed or trained for. Jeez. It went into a blind. Now I'm scared. I'm like, oh, crap. This is the best, though. So I call that phone number, and I'm still probably could have been within earshot, but I'm talking real light. Right. And I and they pick up Red, Reynolds Redwood Ducking, and I go, hey, it's me. And they go, yep. And I go, I just got suspended for three days. They want my dad to come get me. They got to tell my dad, let him sign me out of school. Of course, you can imagine the reaction on the line. Oh, crap. Panic. What yeah, the yeah, frick? Yeah, 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 yeah. And they're like, oh, shoot. Okay, we're going to try to figure this out. Um, um, okay, okay, just sit tight, stand by. We can't call you back, but we'll figure it out. <clears throat> Tell him it's going to be a while. He's on a job. I said, okay, stall. And it's probably, you know, before lunchtime. Right. And so I walked in. I go, hey, my dad's on a job. He's going to come get me. It might be a while. Can I get lunch? No, you sit right here, blah, blah, blah. I go, okay. So I sit there in the hallway by the freaking principal's office. Well, if that was today, that guy would have to show an ID, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So there was no ID back then. Yeah, thank God. So about an hour passed, hour, hour and a half, and here comes this guy. Did you recognize him when he walked in? Never met him before in my life. He had he had he was a biker. He had long beard, tat covered in tattoos, long hair. Um, I was scared to Whoa, death my of him. Dad is he awesome. was about he was about six foot five. 
mountain of a guy um, looked like he just stepped off a Harley and been in 10 bar fights that day. And he walks in and I look at him and he looks down at me and nods at me. And, and he goes, what did I tell you? <laughs> and, 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 I, and, I, and I went, I went, I'm sorry. I just, I'm trying, Dad. I, and I, I'm hoping this is, it's got to be him. Right. And it was. And we played along and I, don't, and I we sat there, I walked in the office. I sat down like a whip pup. I'm like, just keep my head down like I'm in trouble. Right. And he did all the talking. This guy was freaking brilliant. <laughs> he sat there going, I've told you, sir. He goes, me and his mom. Give this guy we, an Oscar. I mean, this guy went on. He leaned, he was, I'm so sorry. His mother and I split up five years ago. And it's been hard. I'm running a business and I'm trying and, and, and he's a, he's a single, I'm a single dad and I don't always get it right, but I promise you, my boy, I'm, you ever do, yes, wait, till we, wait till we get home. And I'm like, I'm like, but dad, he's like, just shut up. He, he's, he's like that playing along. Right. And I'm thinking, who is this guy? Where'd they find this dude? And so, yeah. And so, and so he signs a slip for me. He signs, what was my dad's name? Uh, oh gosh. Uh, he's like, uh, uh, that day was Mr. Rental. <laughs> yeah, but his, yeah, his first name, I, I'd have to go back and look. I got some of the paperwork still I kept in no folders. Way. Yeah. Um, but anyways, they signed me out. And all these ladies, as he's signing me out the front desk, all these ladies are looking at me and looking at him like, oh, my God, this family. I mean, you could tell the look on their just face like this is a bunch of freaking hell's angels. This guy looked like a hell's angel. Yeah. Which, I mean, just freaking... So we walk out, we get out the door, we're walking down the sidewalk, he's next to me. He's kind of looking at me like he's still mad. And he goes, just keep walking. And I kept walking, he goes, see that stop sign up there? And I'm like, yep. He goes, go around the corner, there's a white truck. We're gonna get in that truck. I said, all right. As we're walking and we're just, we're talking along. He goes, well, that went, that went pretty good, I think. I said, yeah. We get in the truck, he gets in the truck, he drives, he gets in the driver's seat, he reaches under the seat, he turns this radio on reaches in between the seats and pulls out this, the mic and just, beep. he goes, I got him. I got him. He goes, we'll head, we're heading back. And whatever his call sign was like, you know, whatever three X, whatever it is. I'm, I got him. He's clear. And we get around the corner. He goes, don't say, anything. he goes, look straight ahead. And we drove, we had to do a U-turn, go went past the school, went around the corner, got about three blocks away. And he leans over with a big smile on his face. And, you know, he, Hey man, John Smith. He goes, I'm DEA. He says, they caught me wow. in town. I was on a court case, and, I, and I'm like, what? He was working a drug case in court. They call him, and they call him. They go, get out of court. They literally called the bailiff, who pulled the judge aside, and go, they need him for an undercover no operation, way. real quick. And he was with the federal DEA, and I and I I never saw him again. How mad would you have been that day if you're sitting there, you got your head down, and you're trying to play the part? And they sent this like little skinny guy, sashay and cross skinny pants. Like, Fun? You're like. You could give me a cool dad. <laughs> no wonder he's got problems. Right, right, right. They were thinking that already. When dad, did you have to wear your rainbow scarf today? Right. You're embarrassing me in front of my friends. Right. At least they send you somebody that looked right. cool. Right, <laughs> right. That'd be cool if that was my that's dad. Right. I can live that's with right. that. Right, totally right. <laughs> send in both of your dads. But that was, that was so great. It was so much fun. And I never saw that guy again. And no was, kidding. Yeah, and he, he was telling me, he goes, yeah, I, I go to, I go to, you know, I'm sure by, by now, God, back then he was, he'd have been, Mid to late forties, he's, he's he's retired by now, yeah. you know, and I'm wow. sure. But he'd been all over Bogota, Colombia. He'd been, wow. he'd been in under for years and they just lying to the radar. Oh man, yeah, he didn't know who he was, you know, and he was high up, but he was a great guy. I'll never forget that big old smile wow. underneath that big old biker beard. That's and he just, so cool. Yeah, it was awesome. It was so. Awesome. When did the when the bus all went down? How involved were you in that? 
Were you there? On I the had, side to, when I had yeah. Oh yeah. Matter of fact, they they pulled up two school buses. Um, they had they rounded up all the kids that sold to me. So they shut. They locked the schools down, and then a team of cops would go to each class, and they'd literally walk in there, not a cop, a uniform cop, a, a suit, and say, "Hey, sorry, we're with." Uh, Sanislaus County would never say drug unit or cops. Right, right. They go, we need to see, so you know, Johnny so and so, Jimmy so and so, and so and so, and the kids are like just Ooh. one by one by one by They'd one. Pull them out of class, take them to the office, put them in a big hall, and tell them, you know, what's going on. And then they'd haul them to to juvenile hall to scare them to booking. But it was more about they're not going to do jail time. It's to scare them. Right. To Give go, us the people get that are... out of this and do not do this. Right. They didn't ruin the lives. It was about getting right. to them. And so, did those kids know that it was you? Eventually, yeah. Um, um, so, anyways, once they, once they got them all in there, I literally had to. Well, they hauled them off and they hauled them in school buses down to process them. But then, when they started hauling them in, you had all these cops and the principal, especially the, you know the one that called for my dad. Um, he didn't like me to begin with. He never knew who I was. He thought I was a troublemaker. And I walked in that day and. I had a windbreaker on, said police on the back, but I still had long hair and earrings, mm-hmm. and I was with all these cops, and he still didn't register. He didn't see the police. He didn't see the police on the back. He's like, of my they back. got you. No, he looked at me and he goes, "What are you doing? Are you in trouble too, Steve?" And I, I kind of looked at Burl Condit, and I went, mm, "Not really." <laughs> and so, and then they told him who I was, and it was he was like, and his head just went. He's almost sad. Yeah, he's like, I'm like so I didn't sorry. like you. I'm, I'm that sorry, and I yeah, and it was fine. We shook yeah. hands, and he's like, "Good job." He goes, wow. "School needed it." I'm glad wow. somebody. It was it was it was a real so weird a moment. Job. You had your Oscar moment too. If he didn't like you, and you right. were doing all that, like right, right, did a good right. Job. But it's it was one of those things where back then when they don't do that program anymore for obvious reasons, and the you know with the way the world is, they they don't they don't want to help kids that do that anymore. Yeah. So, but. Um, but I think last I heard, I still held the record for that for that high school bio program, and that and is so. Random. It was it was it was a great experience. So from there, I knew I was still doing music, and I had to get to uh, the closest we had music wise was Bakersfield, which I'd played, or Los Angeles. And How far is Modesto from LA? Seven hours. Okay, it's seven hours north. Um, so I literally, um, buddy of mine, talked me into. Hey man, since you're already in this, or did did it, and you want to get to LA, yeah. go go apply for the LAPD, and you can be down there in LA. They only work four days on, so I did, and I ended up being just because you felt like there was going to be more opportunities, more for my music. Yeah, it was a right, I used right, the steps, right, although I loved sure. cops, yep. and I still love my support them. Yep. Um, um, it helped me be who I am and get to where I was. The police departments did, and. And I don't, there's nothing I would ever change about it. But I ended up going to LAPD thinking, I'm just going to do this for a couple of years and get some music stuff in here and find my way into music because the music scene was big there. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and so I ended up getting hired by LAPD and I had to go through their nine month academy. Um, a little different, even after having like a giant. Oh, yeah. My head was shaved and it was, you know, every morning at Dodger Stadium, left, right, left, five o'clock. I mean, it was military. It here was, you are the record holder of the Bible over here. And then they didn't even care. <clears throat> All but the they knew my there. record because they did the background when they hired it. Well, the minute I, you know, they, right before you graduate the academy in L.A. back in those days, they gave you three choices. Where do you want to go work in L.A.? Of course, me, I want to go work freaking Venice Beach and ride a daggum. Right? I want to go ride a four-wheeler. Right. On the beach. Get me on Baywatch. 
get me on. I want to check out the Baywatch girls. I want to have a single guy living in L.A. Or I'm going to go to Yeah, let me stop. I don't care what the other two options are. Venice, Venice. I'll take that one. I don't I'll take that. I don't need three. One's enough. Right, That's right, right. Or Malibu. That was another one. Um, and then I put in for Hollywood. I put in for all the cool places where it'd be like cool just to work and just chill. I've this been undercover for a year. This cannot go wrong. Right. Going somewhere. Right, right. I'm if I'm coming here to do music, so I'm going to have a chill, cush job. I've, I've earned it. I've right. went undercover right. a couple times, a couple stories, and tell you about, about got, it was, it was sticky. On, it wasn't high school. It was uh, after the high school. I think I told you after the high school buys, they put me on some big boy buys with with some guys like kilos of stuff, and we literally got oh, cornered yeah. in a room where they patted us down. And one guy was bugged. One of the undercover guys was bugged. There was guns everywhere, and these guys had guns. And, it and was, you were with there. I with was the inside guy. the house you were buying there with the, the guy with that the was guys bugged. buying the kilos. Yeah, bugged. They started patting us down, and we had, remember we had a call sign, a call word, and like you know. Once, once they gave us the dope, like so-and-so is going to love this, you know, when the minute they heard that you hit the ground because the doors are flying off the hinges and here they come. And that's kind of what happened. But before that, they were pretty leery about who we were and, and, uh, they started patting us down. And when they patting us down, that one guy, he was sitting real close to his gun. So it was that kind of stuff. Jeez. But, but yeah, but anyways, um. So you've done all that time to relax, did all that time to relax. And I saw, so I put in for those three areas and thinking I'm going to get the cush job. Of course, they immediately come to me right before I graduated the academy and said, Hey, would you mind working the high school buyer program here at Hollywood high? And I'm like, no, I, I, I don't want to do that. I just did it for a year. I no, I don't right. want to. So they totally get it. And then I got, I thinking, well, so I was, I was a few days away to find, finding out to where I'm going to end up going to do my year of probation on the street. Mm-hmm. You know, one of those three places I put in, I didn't get either one. They put me working. Um, I ended up going to Newton Division, which back then was called Shooting Newton. It was in South Central LA, like Compton. And so, like, and, and so, so is buy off the table. Buy about, Hollywood buys off the table now, and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. straight to Compton. <laughs> Went straight straight to that area, Watts Compton area, and 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 worked a graveyard shift there for a long time. I ended up staying worked. Graveyard, not just Compton, graveyard. Graveyard when the crime is going down, the Crips and the Bloods and all that. And you, know, you know what, though? I worked Newton Division, Southwest, 77th. I met some great people, had some great experience. And it was I was there for quite a few years before I got discovered. With, you know, I was still doing rider nights and stuff. And I, and I still even hit some rodeos, believe it or not. Really? Yeah, still even... Like, you know, Chino, Thousand Oaks. I was yeah. still doing that kind of stuff. And my hair, my, I, you know, my right. ear rings, my head was right. shaved, you know, that kind of thing. But anyways, I ended up working Compton and, and um, had some great training officers and great experience and learned how to talk to people. And I, and one of the things. I saw death every night. It was nuts. Well, and that's, there's going to be the obvious, obvious, the awful, the obvious awful, but. There's a part of me that loves culture, mm-hmm. no matter what it is. Right. Like, I I really do. Like, I can nerd out on documentaries about culture. Like, right. a Chinatown right. in New York. Right. That is an interesting place to me. Right. Because it's an entire subculture. 100%. Culture. And, like, Compton, for all that it has that's that's obviously rough, right? There's some good in there. Well, that's what, that's yeah, what I'm going yeah, with that. Like, yeah, was, yeah. There a, was there a part of the culture that was appealing? With the, like, the people that you met or just once mm-hmm. you're there long enough, you kind of pick up on kind of mm-hmm. how the flow of things go. Was there anything about it that just drew you in? Oh, yeah. You know what? You're going to laugh. Is the food. Really? Oh, my gosh. Some of the best restaurants. The taco trucks. Yeah. The, the barbecue places. The food was off yeah. the hook. And, and the people, a lot of the people that couldn't afford to live anywhere else were stuck 
in that area. Yeah, they didn't want to be good there people. either. And, there were yeah. good people and they were stuck. Financially, they were stuck. Right. So you're there offering a service. Yeah, yeah. You're not you're not there under the thumb of the criminals. You're there on behalf of the people that are good people. But I'm dealing with the, the, the worst of the worst. I and mean, we had sometimes we'd have sixteen drive by shootings a freaking week and the deaths and the, it was crazy. It was it was gang back then in the nineties it was the gang. It was the Crips and the Bloods, eighties and the nineties. It was crazy and well, then, and riots. And I was in the Rodney King riots. That was where that happened was my division. So, and I was, I'll never forget when the Rodney King, and I, those guys with the Rodney King, I, I knew most of those guys, the four that was tried. And one of them was my classmate who was a good guy, a really good guy and not racist at all. I mean, we could get in a whole deal where I'll just tell you this much. What the, what the news showed with that beating, mm-hmm. there's more to that tape. There's more to that tape long before that. And they got that entered in as evidence. And when the jury from what I heard is when the jury saw the whole tape. That's not, where it was like, The jury oh. went, well, no wonder what happened to him. Not As guilty. As to the national media that wouldn't show the whole right. tape. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. That's that's my, that's can what you, I've heard. Can you tell a story about the guy that let you cuff him? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, big gangbanger. Um, he, he was on parole. Big black dude about, gosh, he was 6'6". Six, six, six. He looked like a green mile. Big dude. <laughs> and here I am, this little white boy, right? And, and, um. And I think being undercover helped me learn to talk to people. And I had a great training officer, two of them. I'll never forget them. They both passed away. Al Harden was one of them. Um, Sam, uh, uh, Barone, Abe Barone, his brother Sam was on the job still. But Abe Barone and Al Harden were my training officers. And they taught me how to talk to people where you don't walk up to people and be, I'm a cop. You're going to right. be Right, they right. taught me the gift of gab a little bit. Right. So I got called this guy. They kind of knew who he was, and they said he was standing on the corner. He was armed and blah, 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 whatever. And then one call goes, well, he's not armed. He's just yelling at people going by. And, and so anyways, he had violated parole, and he was wanted for something. And I can't remember all the details. It's been so long. But anyways, I pull up there, me and my partner, two in a car, ran. We always had two in a car. This guy was a mountain. He's seven feet tall. Like, this guy kill us. This guy kill us in two <laughs> seconds, right? And I and I, I walk up to him and I said, "Hey, buddy." Sir? I said, "Look, we got a call. I'm not here to sweat you. We got a call. Hey, I know they know who you are. And I remember saying his name because people identified him. And I know you're you got a parole problem, but I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna do. I go. There's gonna be about ten cars pull up in about four or five minutes because of the traffic." And I go, if you help me, I'll help you. And he looked at me and he goes, well, let's hear it. I go, if you let me arrest you and put these handcuffs on you without any problem, I promise you, when I go to the station, I'm going to write the report that benefits you. And I will let you read it. And I said, you'll be off the hook. I'm going to talk about how cooperative you were. You were not doing any of this. You strictly... Matter of fact, I'll make it look like you turned. You kind of are. You kind of by hand. Let me handcuff you. You're turning yourself in for your parole. You're not running. Right. And I go. You see what I'm saying? And he just looked at me. He goes. He literally goes. All right. And he turned around, put his hands behind his back. I handcuffed him. I'll never forget. I was walking the car, and the first three cars pull up, and their eyes got big because this guy fights. And he's huge. And I'm walking. And you got old, him cuffed. Big old, I got a Polaroid of it somewhere. Somebody took a Polaroid. I'll have to find it when we're done. Somebody took a Polaroid of it and. I got a big smile on my face, and he's walking the car all by my little white self, about 160 <laughs> pounds of me. And 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 he gets anybody in the car. else want some? <laughs> he gets in the car. Mm-hmm. 
he gets in the car and literally uh, out there we have El Pollo Loco, which I mm-hmm. love. We don't have them here, but we had them out there. I remember, I think we went to the drive-thru, and I got some El Pollo Loco, and I got him something, too. Perfect. So it was me and my partner did. So it's like we went to the station. I set him on the bench, put him in his little cell, unhandcuffed, did my report, walked in. He read it, and he goes, he goes, we're cool. And I think the next day they released him, and then I never, I'd see him out on the street. And the guy ended up being a pretty cool informant for me. Like, so if I got a call, like, say we got a call, and there's four cop cars there and shots being fired in a group, right? Mm-hmm. I, if I saw him, I could literally go, hey, man, which one's got, the, which one's, which one's doing it? And he'd go, red hat, but you got to wait till I leave. I'm like, yep. And we'd wear, we'd kind of wait around and he'd kind of talk to people. And as I saw him meandering off, we'd give it a little bit of time, go to the guy with the red hat, shake him down. Sure enough, the gun. I mean, he'd always kind of saved us in a way. That's so, that's, see, and I wish, I know it's hard, but I wish that was the culture or the philosophy of law enforcement because you get, my dad used to tell me this when I was a kid. He's like, you can stand in front of the train, scream and stop and be right. There's a cliff back there. Everybody stop. Right. And the train's still going to run over you. Right. Or you can figure out a way to get in the engine, push on the brake. That's right. You know, in life, you're so much further along to get in the engine, push on the brake. Right. In almost every situation. That's right. That's exactly right. And cops have it tough today. And some of the, you know, I would say bad cops is, is the exception more than the rule. Yeah. You know, yeah, and I, sure. I think. I th- Honestly, probably bad people that are criminals, too. I know that's probably right. sound really liberal, but. No, I get what you're saying. There's a lot of good people that just find themselves with it. Made bad a bad decision. Bad decisions. Right. It's a combination. But man, they're just likable people. They're right. just good people. Oh, and, man. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I used to laugh with criminals in my car all the time. We'd laugh and cut up. And yes, we had, you had your knuckleheads every once in a while, and right. they just career criminals, you know, or your right. murderers, you know, and, you know, execution style and other gangbangers and, Jeez. you know, with a smile on their face, and they don't care. No so, remorse. No, yeah. no regard for human life. So from there, so some from like there, I'm doing. Kept you all day. I want to. No, no, no. I don't care. I'm doing. I'm doing open mic shows, um, at places like you know. Back then, I don't know if they still have it. Uh, I think the town was San Dimas, Western Connection. I was doing these open mic shows, and and um, I had met a guy uh, through a, uh, he, I guess, a mutual friend of mine. Uh, a guy started managing me. It was a guy named Bud Prager, and um, he believed in me, and not only as, as an artist, really more than anything. And he liked the songs I wrote. He goes, I think you're an artist, too. And so Bud had managed, like, Foreigner and a bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. He was a Hall of Fame rock and roll manager. He's passed. And um, he always wanted to manage somebody in country. And, and I got acquainted with him. And one day um, I'm doing something, and here comes James, a guy named James Stroud. And we didn't have phones like this. So I didn't know what James looked like. I knew his name because of records. I'd seen him on records forever. Yeah. I mean, this guy. Back to 12-year-old. Oh, this guy. Had been like, you're, you're, yeah. You know who people are. Right. And this guy was in the 90s. I mean, this guy, I mean, he found people. I mean, I hope I don't get this wrong. I mean, you can Google it. James Stroud. I mean, Tim McGraw, Clint Black, um, all these people. I mean, he was the guy in the 90s. And he heard me and, and he's like, hey, man, you need to come to Nashville. And I came here and. We cut some songs and in the studio and my studio uh, experience was I was just getting my chops in the studio and I went back to L.A. with him and I stayed in touch. I would send him stuff and I kept growing that way, still working the job. And then one day it was like, yeah, you're ready. And and they moved me here. I had a publishing deal. They gave me a publishing deal as a writer um, while I was in L.A. And so I literally walked in and put my 
put my badge down, you know, and said, hey, I'm going to Nashville. And they're like, man, what? Why? Yeah, they're like, <laughs> you're, you're, you know, you, you, you could, you're, you're getting, dude, you're, some, you're getting pop. some tenure, yeah, and you're fun, and <laughs> yeah, you know, and everybody likes you. And I said, yeah, well, I got to take this shot. So I even said, why don't you just take a sabbatical and let's you can think about it. And anyways, I I turned in my badge and I never uh, I never went back. I came wow. here and and but I you know and it and the rest is history. I, I you know. Do you remember the first hit that you wrote? Because you were you're an artist too. Yeah, I was on Mercury Records. I was Shania Twain's opening act, so I went from being a cop singing in honky-tonk bars and stuff like that to going and singing in stadiums, which I was like, holy crap. Wow. I, I miss the bars, the honky-tonks. Yeah, you know? it's that grassroots. Yeah, I love that. People, you can see their faces and know them at stadium. Stadium, right. it's hard. You yeah, know? well, yeah. I mean, you don't know anything. They're not there for me anyways. They're you're for- not going to get to shake their hands and say hi. No. So even if they love you, mm. like, there's no interaction. There's no interaction whatsoever. No, interaction. But, Same as actually, like, years in, you know, ministry, when you would right. speak to bigger crowds. It's hard. There's no interaction there. Yeah, how can you sit there the whole time and see yeah. it, shake every hand that goes out the door, right? Well, and you're not getting to base, I don't know, speaking of music, probably different, but, like, you're not getting to base what you're saying interactively on the people in the back of the room. Right. Because you don't see the people in the back of the room. Right. You know, so... Right. Right. It's weird. It's weird. It's cool. Everybody's like, I want to play big rooms and big stadiums. That's fine. But it's definitely a different sort of a atmosphere for sure. 100%. So, but that was a great experience. Shania was great. You know, it opened for other people, Alan Jackson and people like that. And, and I had one song that did good that Toby Keith actually wrote, Slave to the Habit. And, but then when they started changing me from what I was appearance wise and marketing me wrong, and I kind of knew it. And I was just so green, it was my fault, you know. I walked into all the traps. I walked into all the traps, and I still, to this day, tell every artist, just stay you. Do not, if they sign you for you, you stay you. Right. You right. Know, so, so if they liked you enough to sign you, right, don't change right, it. Right, right, But I was pretty green. So, And I don't, you know, I, a lot of guys got bitter about that. I never did because I, it gave me an opportunity. It really did. It set me up to where I know other artists and, and uh, put me in the world here. And I got to see it as an artist so when i write i understand what artists go through right and well, certainly not to say it's the same but i think there's a, there's some parallels between rodeo and and training horses 100 that like as a horse trainer i'm definitely not out in the spotlight at all mm-hmm. and that really wasn't where i had the most success right i've really had the most success horse training but when you see a horse that you've got go on and do well <laughs> it doesn't feel less than for some reason it doesn't feel like a lesser of an achievement no. you feel like it's just the same sort of rewarding feeling hey without that stick they're not going to get what they get. They, right. you, that's the reward, man, right. right? And I would have, I mean, as a kid, everybody wants to be the performer, I would right. assume. Everybody wants to be on stage. Or everybody wants to be the contestant. Everybody wants the spotlight. It's weird the ways that life can progress where there's something just as rewarding, but you're home raising your family and you're getting to have a, almost a normal life from the horse, like the horse training versus rodeo and versus performer or songwriter. Do you feel like, do you feel like songwriting was a better fit all along? Like if you had to do it all over again. Do you think you would have just stayed with that in the beginning? Um, I loved being an artist. The, the only regret I have is I didn't get to, to make a record that was me. You know what I mean? Right. Um, right. Went I, through all the gatekeepers. Right. And, yes, I lo- it made me a really a better songwriter. It made me – I love being a songwriter. Um, I've been approached to do a streaming record, which I may do. Then it'll be, it'll be me. You know, but if I do it, it'll be with buddies, like some other artists and songwriters, songs like, you know, songs we've written that's never been cut, but we don't know why because they're great songs. Right. And release those things and and just a country record that I wanted to do, you know, mainly for my kids, too. Right. So you said today we can we can wrap this up. 
you said today, I said, you write a hit today? And you said, I think so. And Brooke goes, he doesn't say that very often. No. Like you said it so casually. I was like, yeah, well, another day at work. Well, it could be. I think I, it felt good. The song felt good. Do you yeah. have a sense usually when it's going to work? <sighs> That's hard to say. Yeah, sometimes I, I just know if it's a good song. Yeah, right. you know what I mean. But then you I don't like, know what it'll do. I don't know what it'll do. Song. So there's songs I got, like I said, there's songs I got in there that I know those songs could be hits, but yeah. they never got cut for either the artist didn't write them or they just don't fit the artist. Wrong time, yeah, wrong, wrong time, place. wrong place. Every song has its time and its place, right? Yeah. Um. So, do I feel like it could be a hit? One hundred percent. Yeah, awesome. I do. I Am do. I get, the right artist, right? So yeah, I'll let you hear. Turn all this off. Oh yeah, sure. I'll let you hear. Yeah. So, but it's a, it's a. It's been a great journey, and I still, you know, I still have something to say, and I love doing what I do. Do you feel like you're you're excited for where country music is heading to right now? I do. I, I feel like it's going back because you can take it. You know, you take it down this road, and it, eventually you get so far away from country music. Mm -hmm. I like. I think we talked about this. You and I have before. I love to turn on the radio stations, and what or or when I it says, oh, this is country format or this is country station i want to hear country music yeah, if i want to hear prime. rap i'm going to go to listen to the rap hip-hop yeah, station you almost got to listen to prime country to hear something that sounds like country right on the radio right right which which i want to hear country i'm i'm a purist a traditional country guy right. i love it and i like it's there's room for it all but i just think don't country the wrong thing right? country music should be country that's what i'm saying like i can listen to everything but don't call that that like let it be what it is right the, the if people, you want to write right, rap, go right, right right that's fine right so i'm i wave the country music flag and i i i mean i got kids uh in high school rodeo and then their friends they'll walk up to me these kids well kids don't listen to that anymore really because i walk i got a kid to walk up to Same. me and i got a kid to walk up to me and goes hey how come these guys mr shane ain't on the radio and he shows me brooks and dunn and I go, they were huge in the 90s. They were all over the radio. Those guys are icons. Right. And he goes, really? And his dad goes, he's, he's downloaded all their records. That's all he listens to. Yeah. These kids do like country music. Still, They're just yes. not being given. Yes. And I believe going right, going full circle, that's why Red Dirt Country yeah. has taken, these kids are listening to that because yeah. these kids actually do love something grassroots and real. And that's why it's taken off where Nashville kind of stopped. It's music that never went through an executive office to get filtered. That's right. And I, that's what I dig about it. And, I, and I'm and good for Texas. Who are some up-and-comers right now? And we'll be done. Last question. Who are some, who's some young guys or a young guy or a young band that you listen to and you're like, oh, yeah, we're, the future's in good hands? Oh, I mean, you, a lot of those Texas dirt guys. I think Cody Johnson's one. That, I mean, they, you know, he's, he's definitely coming on. Um, Another guy that, that, that I know in town is a kid named Zach Top. He's good. Um, he's country. Um, of course, you know, freaking Laney. We all know Laney. I knew her when nobody knew her. Laney tell, Wilson. You got to tell that story. You knew Laney when no one knew her. Tell yeah. that story real quick. Well, somebody real just quick. somebody said, this girl, you, know, you want to ride with this girl? She wants to ride. Yeah, I'll get in the room with her. And I literally heard her saying, and I went, oh, my gosh. Have you have you been? Has anybody? No, I don't know. So I, I called. How long had she been in town? She'd been coming to town off and on, and she she was living here, but nobody would really, you know, okay, look at her, and she was just struggling. She was trying to get seen, and I literally called the head of Sony, and I said, I'm writing with a girl. Her name's Lainey Wilson. You need to get your staff to come down here and hear her. If you don't sign this girl, I'll walk her across the street, and they will. And the rest is history. They ended up. So the world was introduced <laughs> to Lainey Wilson because you saw well, it and went, well, well, I don't. Laney's talent would have done it. She Absolutely. would have got there eventually. Absolutely. But I, you yeah. just happen to be the one that were like, whoa, here right. we go. I'm just glad that, that 
it got to be me and a small, it's a small part of Laney. Well, I just feel like you know? wildflowers and wild horses. Like I'm not necessarily, I don't know, but you listen to that and that tells a story. Right. You do feel like you're kind of connected to that. You do I feel do. like that's kind of us. You right. Know, like you're, it's, she's right. to some degree, she's one of us. She's from she our is. Culture, yeah. Yeah. She is. And she loves the rodeo world. Um, grew up a rancher's kid. Her dad's awesome. Her mom's awesome. Um, she's a God fearing girl and she's, uh, Laney, literally, the only thing changes, changed about Laney is she's just busier. But yeah. Laney is the same girl that I met in the office that day. She's Love not, that. she, you couldn't change Laney. Laney's Love a sweetheart. That. Yeah. And so everything you see, that's exactly what she is. Same with Luke. Same with Luke. It's all the, you know, it's, I've been fortunate to run across a lot of those artists and get to know a lot of people. And, and it's, you know, it, it's, it's eye-opening to really see the, you know, those people are just people too. Yeah. They, yeah. You know, in anything, in anything, anything people you know, are just people anywhere it, you go, anywhere you go, yeah. you know? And so I've been blessed. It's been a heck of a journey yeah. and, and I love it. You know, I still got something to say and I still learn from the young writers, you know, that I get to write with. And I was that guy when nobody to write with me, I love to write with those guys because I learned something from them in that well, generation. It brings you back. It lets Absolutely. you see how far you've come too. I, same, same. I mean, we would have kids that got in the truck that hadn't been to the places we've been year after year after year. And like, you see how excited they get. And like, you're like, that is kind of, I kind of forgot that is cool. <laughs> like, I, yeah, that's right. That's kind of neat. Like I, you almost take it for granted. And then you're like, no, man, kind of lets you look back and go, I remember being first time here and oh, yeah. feeling like it keeps you young. It does. It yeah. really does. Yeah. yeah. And I still feel like, you know, I still feel like the, the every song I get on the radio tomorrow feels like the first one. I, yeah. I, I still enjoy it. And yeah. I still, I still love that. I love that feeling. And I love the, even the songs when I write that may not get cut. Some of my favorite songs have never been cut, probably never will be cut. Yeah. But that's Rick Rubin said it. He's like, it's enough if you like it. It's enough. If it's you true. like it, if you like it's it, enough. If, if you nobody ever it. buys it, if nobody ever listens to it, if it's never success, that's all secondary. Like that's right. If you like it, that's enough. That's right. That's exactly right. Now, I'm, Cody Johnson, he's been right here. He, he, him and I wrote in that room right there. And I remember we wrote songs, and and I remember playing him, or he got played a song me and Jeff wrote, uh, Cowboy Life. Yeah. It's the only one I know. It's Cowboy Life Might Kill Me. And he got played that song, and he he cut that song on a couple of records back. And I know that was a, a good song for him. But he was just, he it was one of those, like, I'd never thought, because where we are at that time, there wasn't really any artist that, that rodeoed or appreciated George yeah, Strait. right. And I think George Strait, it had, I think he had had that song on hold from what I heard, or the label put on hold. And he never cut it. And I thought, well, that, he's about the only one that can do it. Then here comes Cody along. Finally, and Cody, for, yeah, and it worked. It worked for Cody. And Dude, so, I'm telling you, Dear Rodeo is one of the greatest. Oh, Co and Cody's a great. He's to, yeah. Cody wrote that. Yeah, Cody and Cody's that, a good writer. I'm saying that to that point is yeah. like he gets it at a deep degree. Shane, I've kept you all day, but more than that, I'm about to wet my pants. We got to wrap this up. <laughs> Cannot tell you thank you enough. Hey, this buddy. has been, man, more than I can tell you, thank you. Buddy, Appreciate thank you. you. Thanks for coming out here no. and, and doing this. And we're going to go have dinner here in a second. And I love it, man. Yeah, this is awesome. It. Thank you yeah, so much. Thank you. Get it out. Thank you. Thank you.